the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Hello there and welcome back to the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host Agostino Zynga and this is episode number 599 of the Agostino Zynga show. Yes, that is true. Your eyes and your ears do not deceive you. It's episode number 599. I am one away, one one singular episode away from hitting the hallowed and the favoured and the much required and the much loved 600 episodes of me sitting here solo dolo talking into a microphone and chatting up out of my absolute ASS and it's absolutely glorious and I'm happy and I'm proud and I'm glad and I'm over the moon that you lovely people tune in every week to hear me share my redacted opinions on things that people really generally don't care about but regardless i'm happy you guys tune in so i'm back in the hot seat as per usual you know how it is um weekend was a little bit cray cray not going to lie ended up going out a bit on a saturday um and then ended up kind of you know diving back into like old terrible habits which means drinking which i definitely didn't want to end up doing but ended up having to do it which didn't end up costing me a couple of days because i had a terrible hangover and stuff and was kind of struggling to get out of bed but now i'm alive kicking and ready to roll right things are back to some semblance of normality and of course over the weekend united won against arsenal too so that was great and glorious um new episodes of series i'm watching at the moment um what's that one that i'm watching at the moment i keep forgetting the name of starring fucking between kevin bacon i forgot but the main one obviously being house of dragons and stuff so i was just thinking actually about house of dragons right i was just thinking about it just now I spent the majority of my weekend, like most people, I think, or the, the past two weeks or so, going on so many different YouTube channels and just finding out all the lore regarding, you know, House of Dragons and regarding, um, you know, the song of Ice and Fire, regarding the Targaryens in general, regarding George R. R. Martin, and just kind of engrossing myself in that whole world again because I kind of deleted it from my brain like most people did um, after the end of the flipping horrendous, horrendous, horrendous um, eighth season of Game of Thrones. I sort of kind of deleted the entire thing from my brain because they want to revisit again because it was that bad but obviously having to go back into that kind of you know down that rabbit hole again the thing i really came to mind when i was just watching all these incredible youtube channels by the way there's a, a fantastic community around game of thrones and a song of ice and fire now i definitely understand outside of george R. R. martin just being a bloody lazy son of a bitch now i understand why people in the game of thrones universe are so picky and pushy about him finishing the books because those books need to be finished like there's no way you can you know dictate somebody like that with such an immersive and expansive interesting world with these great characters that you're building and these interpersonal connections and these incredible bits of dialogue and fantasy and or inspiring things whatever it may be there's no way you can dictate someone like this in the beginning and then just not finish a story you can't do that and the fact that he's been so distracted with making millions upon millions of dollars and being incredibly famous in such an old age is understandable i think if anybody you know suddenly became famous 
famous off the back of writing, you know, fantasy books that weren't really that, you know, well, fantasy, fantasy books that not a lot of people have heard of prior to the show because I didn't necessarily hear about it. And I'm pretty much um, an avid reader, I would say. I'm into a lot of sci-fi. I read quite a bit of fantasy and I really wasn't familiar with Game of Thrones prior to the show starting on HBO. So the fact that, um, so the fact that flipping... Um, Game of Thrones was such a success when obviously it got adapted into a TV show. I can understand why, you know, George R. R. Martin was a little bit hesitant um, to kind of, you know, get back onto the saddle and start doing, you know, or get back into the hot seat and start actually writing and doing the work. I get why he didn't want to do it. But please, for the love of God, please, please, can you, can you finish those books? Because, man, The House of Dragon is really good for the main reason why I was trying to make here was that the source material is brilliant. And I think what we're seeing now, especially with what's going on with the Rings of Power, that Lord of the Rings series on Amazon, which is absolutely pony, like it's horrendous. And the thing about um, Rings of Power, which makes it really bad, is that visually it's quite stunning. You can definitely tell they spent a lot of money in it. You can definitely tell they took some cues from the Lord of the Rings trilogies, you know, directed by Stephen Jackson. You could tell they've done, they've taken some hints there and there, but they've kind of spent a lot of money in terms of, you know, building that world visually. But what um a house of dragon kind of lacks visually in terms of the effects in terms of um how it may be looking in terms of awe inspiring or not even i do think there's a lot of kind of really clever almost like turner-esque landscapes in kind of some frames within house of dragons that kind of transport you into the world without making it super immersive like maybe how um you know uh, rings of powers where it's got these really big sweeping wide shots where you see someone walking up a hill or something or whatever maybe or across a forest or across an open plain but what it lacks in that you kind of fill in the gaps in your head with your imagination the sort of same way that a really great fantasy book does for you right or a really great book of sci-fi so that's really what it comes down to like the source material is strong and i guess the fact that if i'm not mistaken rings of power isn't actually it's from like an um what is it from it's from like an appendix book or something right because they couldn't get the rights for tolkien's actual work so they had to kind of interpret this other bit of material that wasn't necessarily about anything and try to flesh out a story that way and for whatever reason they didn't want to talk to the flipping director of um lord of the rings the trilogy um he says they ghosted him he kind of gave him the number said he was expecting a call having a bit of a meeting sit down and kind of go over some things they didn't um they didn't really use or tap into a lot of the people that they brought in in terms of experts a few of them left and in general it just seems like a tired and boring attempt to sort of tick diversity boxes and try and make like a work version of a lord and rings which no one really wanted that's the interesting thing about this whole entire thing i think like it's like Lord of the Rings has got such a weird and fanatical built-in fan base anyway, but it's a very particular type of fan base. I don't think a lot of people who aren't fans of Lord of the Rings have actually watched Lord of the Rings, a trilogy. I think it's mostly geeks and mostly fans of Tolkien's work and whatnot and fantasy who probably went out and flipping killed that movie in the box office and made it, you know, one of the greatest kind of movies of all time in terms of a trilogy. So it didn't really make any sense why you'd want to, I'd get why you want to come back and maybe, you know, I don't know, something like Titanic or something, you want to make that work. I understand that because I was like a worldwide normie kind of hit. But Rings, Lord of the Rings always kind of appealed to a niche. So why would you take that, why would you kind of ruin such a classic thing for a certain group of people just so you can kind of tick your diversity boxes and pretend to be some sort of activist for a TV? It doesn't really make any sense. And to me, honestly, because I've kind of, I can, I can sometimes agree 
see both sides, especially when it comes to myself and my own career, when it comes to DJing, because I feel like sometimes the inclusion and diversity conversation in the DJing world actually needs to happen because there's just it's just too whitewashed at the moment. It just doesn't reflect people that go to the dance, that people that actually go to these raves, even the people who are behind making the music, just a bit, you know, it's a bit one-sided in terms of it being just being loads of straight white dudes playing music. But at the end of the day, they're still booking people who are good at what they do. They're not just booking them based on their flipping gender or based on who they may be or based on their connection. They're still booking people who can sell tickets and who are good at what they do. The thing I don't really like about all this work stuff that's happening with, you know, them kind of um, taking franchises and basically destroying them is that it's not even like they're trying to make it work and then also trying to write a good story. They're just trying to make it work. The story doesn't matter. The story is kind of secondary. And that I think is one of the main reasons why these things don't really work and they suffer because I feel like most people are okay with kind of um, putting the work stuff to one side or kind of putting it to the back of your mind if you're going to be subjected to a good story. But if you're going to be sitting there and telling me a She-Hulk twerking in her office with Megan and the Stallion is actually contributing to a good story, I feel like you're lying and I feel like you know you're lying too. So I don't want any part of it whatsoever. So I understand why people get annoyed and pissed off with that sort of stuff because it's just unnecessary for me, in my opinion. It's not unnecessary, but in general, House of Dragon is absolutely amazing. I feel like because they're sticking to the book and because of what I've kind of seen online and read online and watched online, I can tell that it's going to get really, really good um, towards the end. And if they end up sticking to the books and then end up kind of going on their own tangent and they don't end up doing what the D&D guys did over at Game of Thrones, we're going to be in for a series that might end up being better than Game of Thrones overall, which is crazy to say because the early seasons of Game of Thrones, especially from season, what, one to five or one to four, were absolutely phenomenal television, right? The dialogue between people, um, the kind of, the build-up of tension along the way, the surprise deaths, the twists and the turns, especially if you had never written Game of Thrones and the first time you watched The Red Wedding, like absolutely incredible 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 scenes so i feel like a lot of that just comes from actually having good source material to kind of dive into and i just hope george R. R. martin takes the time to actually finish those books because i would love to read them all and actually get some sort of conclusion with it because we know that not all of george R. R. martin's work in that kind of game of thrones a song of uh, ice and fire flipping universe is going to get adapted to television stuff we know that not all of it is but it'll be good to get some sort of conclusion before this man ends up flipping you know hitting the can or whatever maybe but you know maybe we'll never get it who knows but i hope we do sometime in the future um, another thing i want to quickly mention was this interview featured in interview magazine featuring the one and only kim kardashian the reason why i wanted to mention it was you know, by Mel Ottenberg, actually, let's get a, give that guy a shout out because he absolutely crushed it when it comes to um, putting this together, right? In terms of the styling and whatnot, it looks absolutely phenomenal. So Kim looks amazing in this. Um, I love the hair. I love the blonde eyebrows, you know, giving me Carlos Avengi um, vibes. I love the Americana look with the denim jacket, the white top, the denim jeans, the boots and stuff. I love everything about it, right? It's really, really cool. And the actual interview itself might be one of her best in terms of her coming across somewhat personable and somewhat unlikable, even what I'm going to say next doesn't really make any sense. But overall, when it comes to this lady, Kim Kardashian and the Kardashian fam overall, I'm I'm reaching peak levels of like Kim and Kardashian's family overall oversaturation. And the reason why I say this is because I'm somebody that generally doesn't really like when people say the thing of like, oh, if you don't like something, just don't pay attention to it, right? It's generally something that kind of gives me 
it kind of just annoys me that sort of phrase especially nowadays because nowadays there are some things that you don't like that you just can't avoid because other people tend to like them a lot and the Kardashians are a really good example of it and a really good example of it would be something like Love Island which I don't really have that much of a strong opinion about but I don't watch it I don't really care for it but my entire timeline is full of people that watch it um, and, and just generally society seems to be big fans of it so even if you don't like Love Island you're definitely going to be aware of people that are on it you're definitely going to be aware of maybe major talking points or just something along with it there's no way you're just going to know absolutely nothing about it unless you're just not on social media but if you are on social media unfortunately you're going to find out some details about that thing that you don't like and i feel like over the years we've kind of i felt like there's been a ramping up in terms of the coverage that the connections have been getting across many different media platforms which makes a lot of sense god imagine if you own a media platform on the back end this family does generate clicks they do generate engagement they do kind of drive traffic and if you do want to give your site a bit of a pep up the step you're definitely going to make sure you're going to cover what they say you're going to get this interview dissected because i can imagine if you have a platform or a blog or whatever it may be or a news outlet you're going to take this interview and you're going to dissect little bits and turn them into fully fledged stories so you can increase clicks so you can increase you know the amount of advertising that you get you know that you get kind of to, to your site and money in terms of marketing bloody blah, blah 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 i get it it's all a big business but me as a consumer me as just a regular average everyday person i'm just tired of seeing their faces i'm tired about hearing them hearing their opinions on life and stuff i just generally don't care and it's not even a thing of like not liking them as people because i don't know who they are i just know what they present but just in terms of even actually diving a bit deeper into who they are as people and reading what they say and their values and whatnot they really are the most kind of i wouldn't say reprehensible but they're not the most likable family in the world either it's not even like they're like generally people that people would say are people kind of like them despite their flaws you don't like them because of their flaws right they have many major flaws especially the way that they kind of have really elevated you know the average beauty standards and then have refused to acknowledge the amount of cosmetic work that they've got done and just spin it in this it's just horrendous everything about it i can imagine if you have a daughter how kind of toxic you, you would think this whole entire family is and one of the things that i found very interesting about this shoot especially when you can think think about the iconography of it right the themes around it about being very americana about it being you know blonde hair you know especially her not being you know a, a, a typical white woman in terms of representing the the kind of new face of america bloody blah 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 the funny thing about this when you search through this article and you search through the word that i searched through when i was kind of clicking on it and you search through work you get 10 instances of work being mentioned in an article and it made me laugh and snicker because it, it made me laugh because and snicker really because I remember I made this point earlier on I think in a stream about how annoyed I was getting at some of these stand-up comedians I was following and their insistence on trying to appear like they're working class trying to appear like they're just one of us one of the regular folks but then also going out of their way to shit on people who work working class jobs who tend to i think be the people who make up the majority of their audiences right they're the people that go and you know get a babysitter to have like a little bit of a date night and take out their wife or their partner to go watch a comedian have a couple of drinks have something to eat get a bit tipsy and come home but for some reason kind of comedians kind of look down those people and they kind of somehow want more highfalutin sophisticated type customers but that's not what you're going to get you're definitely going to get people like me and you right who are just regular working class people who just want to tap out a couple of hours in the evening and i feel like the collections have the similar sort of thing but they try and um i won't say cosplay but they're trying to rewrite the narrative that they've somehow 
you know, got this from the mud, their success and their kind of fame and infamy or whatnot. And it hasn't come through the process of just being very, very privileged and winning the genetic lottery in terms of being born into a family that was already kind of on this ascendancy. And then you get the genetic lottery of looking the way you, you do, you have the access to, you know, improve the way that you do. You happen to live in a country or, you know, to be brought up in an area like California where you, you basically get to indulge yourself in those kind of things and it just goes from strength to strength. Now, no one's denying they haven't worked for a level of their success, but this kind of overemphasis, I feel like, or this kind of weird, really clever, subtle um changing of the narrative of like work 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 is really interesting right you hear a lot of them talking about working out you talk a lot of them talking about working in terms of entrepreneurship working in terms of having a family working in terms of being celebrity whatever it may be there's a real there's a real kind of conversation around it and even this interview i feel like it's one of the most interviews i've seen where they've ever even spoken or openly acknowledged the this kind of thing that people say running joke of like oh they don't have any talent because now they're trying to twist the talent thing into being, oh, I work hard, so that's also a bit of a talent, which is really interesting. But there's 10, ten instances in this magazine, interview magazine with Kim Kardashian where she talks about work, right? Um, the first one is obviously one of the most infuriating ones ever you can put there because this is the following. Mel Ottenberg says this, I love it. What's your secret these days? You're really, truly, really growing. And she says, oh my God, thank you. No problem. Kim says, honestly, I really take care of myself. I work out. I eat a plant-based diet as, as much as possible i'm not perfect but my it's my lifestyle i feel really good in my own skin these days so maybe that comes through and obviously people have noticed over the kind of recent years that kim has or recent months actually kim has lost a lot of weight right she's clearly trying to change the way that she looks in terms of how she looked before and there's a clearly a stylistic or kind of image kind of change that they want to go for in terms of whatever they're doing in terms of how they build their brand fair enough but there's also this real lack of acknowledgement that the base was always good with them, right? There's pictures of Kim when she was younger, looking incredible, right? Looking very pretty and obviously clearly somebody else was going to grow into being a very attractive woman, fair. But let's not deny that there's been some help along the way. And now the funny thing is, is that especially if you read some articles, I've seen some things online, there's been this conversation around maybe Kim and her sister Chloe having gotten a um, a reduction in their bums because obviously they're known to having these kind of crazy donkey bums and having these crazy implants or whatever else they put in there, right, to make them look crazy. But the thighs never match, so they always look really nuts whenever they wear kind of, you know, bikinis and whatnot. And I guess over the years, they've slowly but quietly, they're so, yeah, slowly but quietly removed whatever they put inside there and then decided to work out, which is always a very clever trick when you're doing any sort of cosmetic surgery. If you actually combine cosmetic surgery with actually changing your your kind of diet and your kind of um, everyday kind of day-to-day -day life in terms of how you sleep, you know, how much how much water you're drinking, um, the kind of foods you're, avoid, you're avoiding, not drinking, not doing drugs, all that good stuff. And you're also, you know, uh, somebody that's kind of, you know, not shy of going under the knife, you can actually get some incredible results. And that's what they've kind of done in terms of a hack. And clearly it's working for them. But again, no acknowledgement of that. Annoying. Another instance of work. Well, I uh, Kim says, well, I woke up and I worked out and then I dropped my kids off the day camp. So there's just, again, insistence of trying to appear as if like you're just like every other mom out there when it's not true. We know you, ha we know you have a million um, nannies and whatnot. We know you have a bunch of help and we know you have a good support system that actually allows you to do all those things, right? To actually make those things actually work for you. And the thing for me that I've always found that I kind of want to make clear also 
I've kind of grew up with, I obviously grew up in a very rough area and I didn't grow up with a lot of money myself, but I've known people, you know, along the way who have kind of had the ability to live a somewhat comfortable life. And I don't know what it is that people who come from privilege who have money and this kind of um, insistence on wanting to appear or wanting to kind of sound like you've come from struggle, but then everything about your life is luxury, is like privilege, is like, you know, indulgence. And I don't really see why that makes sense because if you have the ability to, you know, put yourself through a good if you have the ability to go to a pretty decent university or you, your mom put you through a good private school or you're able to get a good job or you've got good content to do this good content to do that you should take advantage of it because your parents work pretty hard to put you in that position right to kind of afford your life where you don't have to stress too much that's a really good privilege to have you should kind of embrace it um but also kind of make it known that hey this stuff doesn't define me and i'm also a decent person because you don't want to be defined by the wealth that you didn't obviously create or anything and you don't want people to kind of be ascribing you you know bits of entitlement or making you seem like you're spoiled but you also want to make sure that hey i'm actually a decent person this doesn't this isn't all of it this isn't everything that i do i also do this i also do that but this kind of rejection of the privilege and trying to appear normal trying to appear like the everyday person whilst looking nothing like the everyday person is absolutely insane because no other mum who is whatever age that she is can be is able I don't think on a daily basis look like that and also work a nine-to-five it just doesn't work it just doesn't work out that way it would be nice if they could but it just doesn't work out that way right I continue so yeah so I'm shooting a little content for skins this morning I figured out um how to do some voiceovers on reels then I'm going to record episode of my podcast I'm doing true crime podcast on Spotify yeah cool cool another one because it felt like what she said yeah and then they have a two-day work session and I have to go voiceover so this whole insistence of like breaking down a day and making it seem like hey I'm I'm like you I also have a hustle I'm also doing things I'm also trying to create and strive a better life for my family when really they already looked after but anyway continue another one thing about work look at that work has been mentioned three times on this sentence it's one question it's one answer to the interview kim says as follows well i'm going to dinner with my sisters tonight so i'm probably going to do that anyway i think i'll always i'll always be working out none of that really has changed me and my sisters always work out together i would be the mum. i'd still work out though i'd probably have a big vegetative resale business or something so this idea that that she would always look again it's very subtle this messaging i'm always gonna i was always gonna look this way because i work out because i work out because i work out yes we know you work out but you've also got a lot of help why don't you want to admit it now on the other end of it it's none of anyone's business to admit anything right it's personal you know medical stuff doesn't need to admit anything but just don't just don't lie you know what i mean don't say anything but also don't lie those are two things. You don't need to say nothing. You don't need to explain yourself to anybody. But also don't fly out lie and, pretend, and expect us to believe it because we're not. I know I'm not anyway. Another one. Um, work, 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 work. Another one about work. Um, I believe in climate change. Kim says, I believe that anything can help. <laughs> Kim talk about climate change is hilarious. But I also believe in being realistic and think sometimes there's so much to worry about on this planet. And <laughs> it'd be really scared to live our life with anxiety. I have super climate change of our friends and I love learning from them. <laughs> Uh, this is like this is like when you say um i'm really passionate about a company you remember when you go into an interview for a company you never heard of prior to trying to get a job there and you have to kind of fake that you care about what they do and you're not just there for a check this is what it's kind of this answer sounds like um i have super climate change of our friends and i love learning from them i do what i can but you have to pick and choose what really works for you in your life of course you get to pick and choose we don't another one about <laughs> let's continue Let's see some more work thing. Wouldn't that be nice? It says, um, but you are a t-shirt. That's what I want. Sick about it. It's, just, it's, it's attainable. It works. What's attainable? Oh my God. Anyway, um, another one. 
uh, kind of work. I have a problem saying no to people. So I hate when people ask me for things. It's like, hey, will you do this work thing? It'll just take two seconds. I'm like, it's not that easy. I'm coming from Calabasas, which is an hour each way. It takes about two hours in glam. So if someone asks me to do a five minute cameo, it's never just that. But all my friends and family, no one really asks me for anything or needs anything. We're just cool. Okay, cool. Another thing, working with Nadia Cole. So again, I don't know. I, it's I, like I said, I'm conflicted because I feel like this interview is really good. All right, let's go from the top to bottom. See all the pictures. You see, obviously, a bare buttocks there. The interview is really good. She looks amazing in this clothes. I think that's a Rick Owens um, choker in it. I'm pretty sure from the recent season. Is that Rick Owens choker? Yeah. Oh, it's Gucci. It's not Rick Owens. Wow. Okay, I take it back. Just incredible in this in this flipping um, editorial. Melton Burgers made it look really, really amazing. I love the Americana vibe of everything. I love the brands that are featured. The interview is really interesting if you're a fan of them and uh, and that whole family. But. I'm just tired and bored and over this entire family and I want it to be over. But I know it's never going to be over. This is obviously an interesting look of the entire thing. I think most of you are aware this is a Bottega Veneta look. It's actually all made of leather. It looks like it's um, denim and obviously a classic kind of cotton vest. But it's actually all leather, which is great. And paired with that little pointy boot is really great styling for Mel Ottenberg. So obviously big up him. But I'm just tired of the family. I'm, I have reached peak Kardashians over saturation. And I think I'm, I mentioned it all. Oh, that's really nice too actually the reason why i mentioned it too is that for me the sober saturation isn't because i can avoid them it's because i can't avoid them like i came across the interview on my timeline because i wasn't looking for it it just popped up in my time because everyone was kind of sharing the images of her with a bum out so it's not even like i can avoid it you can't avoid them they're always kind of they're omnipresent they just kind of exist forever and ever and ever and people keep feeding into this nonsense it's just annoying and now they're trying to appear like everybody else it's just like or trying to appear like the normal family it's just like come on man allow it but yeah check it out if you're that way inclined i'll put the link in the show notes if you are interested next on the list to talk about here um this is some news of course if you're a kanye fan that you'll be happy about as most of you know kanye has been online ranting and raving um for anyone to hear regarding his issues he has with gap he issues he has with adidas and just issues in general with his family and whatnot and you know how he's perceived and the things that he feels are owed to him bloody blah 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 and he's had a, obviously a bit of a recent um falling out it feels like with adidas and gap mostly and um the adidas stuff has been pretty interesting to watch from the side outside because i feel like there's a lack of understanding maybe or accept no acceptance, lack of acceptance or maybe Kanye side of things that there is always going to be a bit of give and, give and take when it comes to working with corporations I know because I've worked in them I've worked from everywhere between I've worked from everywhere from like a you know a small startup of like three people to like a mid-level company to like a small you know burgeoning startup to like a proper corporation where I'm like in a marketing team of like 500 people like I've done it all and what I've seen across the board especially over my time working and obviously of kind of observing things on the outside in is that for the most part when creatives do link up with corporations it should always be looked at as a very short-term kind of partnership however much synergy there may be in the beginning prior relationship um connection whatever it may be all that fluff that they kind of sell you in the beginning is always nice and cute because they want you to sign on a dotted line and obviously get that product out there to make the money for the board members but in the long and short of it it should always be a short and sweet partnership it should always be a creative coming in between 
I'd say three to five years, you know, delivering what they need to be delivered and then kind of going on their merry way. But this idea you can have long-term creative partnerships with corporations and there not be any road bumps and there not be any, you know, issues of them kind of taking advantage of you or going back on their promises is incredibly naive, I feel like in my opinion. But for some reason, when it comes to Kanye, he seems like on a one-man mission to rewrite all those sort of like... Um, what do you say? How do you call them? To rewrite all those um, conventional things that happen in business, right? He doesn't want to abide by convention. He wants to kind of go on his own route when it comes to his record contract, when it comes to how he presents shows. He's always somebody that wants to kind of push that forward. And the great thing about it is that he does it. The unfortunate thing about it is that most likely he won't see the fruits of it. It will always be people coming behind him. Like you look at someone like a Virgil, right? Um, Kanye had to go through all those pains that he had with Nike so that Virgil could have a pretty much a seamless kind of um, relationship with Nike where he was able to put out whatever he kind of wanted in terms of shoes or they would kind of keep coming back to him saying hey do you want to put out more stuff and he was like yeah 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 whereas with Nike with Kanye he felt like he had to push them to accept him to give more stuff I mean so clearly he has to kind of be the first one through the door to kind of give everyone else a chance to kind of get through when they come up come up behind him but there seems to be some good news on her horizon because um courtesy of this little update we have of the instagram account called kanye streams it says this is a screenshot taken from his instagram because obviously he deleted all this stuff because you know this is kanye he rants and raves about stuff and then i guess he gets um foam what you call it he gets regret in the morning when you know that same regret you get when you get super smashed the night before and you end up DMing people you shouldn't dm and you end up kind of regretting in the morning probably the same thing he's getting so this is a screenshot taken from kanye's um instagram account where he's writing these tweets on notes it feels like and then screenshot and then uploading onto instagram which is interesting he's not doing it on twitter i guess because there's more people on instagram i don't know whatever um or maybe because it's a more designy type place you'll get more traction that way who knows whatever it doesn't matter because it still ends up on both places anyway so it says as follows it says i could hear the joy in my team's voice today adidas don't want no smoke um no more smoke sorry the movie credits are rolling. The war wasn't about money. It was about control. Our families, our business, our story. So it's about control of our family, our businesses, of no, of our families, of our businesses, of our story, of our voice. I gave him the opportunity to settle this quietly. Now it's time for Gap. So clearly he's got what he wanted from Adidas in terms of maybe more involvement, more say-so, because he was also moaning that for what it looked like, um, a lot of the Adidas or Yeezys that were coming out nowadays aren't coming out under his kind of provisor with his sort of permission he hasn't been the one sort of been approving some of the colorway choices some of the names he obviously made a big stink about saying that you know easy day wasn't something that he ever sort of like rubber stamped that occasion where they were basically selling loads of discounted items no loads of items from easy that had previously released or previously been released and kind of put really putting them out again and he didn't approve of that none of that at all and then of course some other colorways of shoes that he didn't approve of as well but the shoe thing was interesting because i think someone mentioned this on twitter as well this great account called sockjig mentioned it and they featured this post actually um that was taken from a I think business insider interview that kanye did right and the tweet from sockjig says as follows it said if it's true that kanye hasn't approved of a yeezy release in two years perhaps he regrets having hundreds of samples made for adas to choose from which is true because, you know, Kanye and Virgil are two of the same people, right? They work prodigiously hard. They put out incredible amounts of work. They are always iterating. They kind of like to learn aloud. They kind of like to, they kind of like to create physically and tactically. They don't like to kind of, you know, put their colorways on the PDF. They want to see it in 3D. And because of that, most likely, companies like Nike Adidas will see those colorways, especially some that haven't been used, especially ones that you've probably seen in that kind of um, Virgil exhibition that's been going around town. 
or going around the country, sorry, in America, most likely you'll probably see some of those models come out in a non-off-white way with the, the similar sort of colorways. Be prepared to see it because it always does happen. And maybe, as uh, Sokchik is pointing out here, Kanye basically displaying and kind of, you know, putting it out there or showing off the amount of iterations of shoes that he was tweaking with in terms of different sort of hues and palettes and finishes and whatnot. Maybe this whole entire sort of like flex was actually... Um, ill-advised because maybe Adidas saw this as an opportunity to just pluck all these colors that they could easily put in their sort of like release calendar and drop when need be and the, and the added thing about it is that all these colors are very much in line with what Kanye does so there was no you know until Kanye said what he said I don't think anyone really thought um, any of the colors that we've seen recently are non-Kanye ones we just assumed there was something that he was already doing so the fact that they're not stuff that he was doing or they're not stuff he approved of is pretty shocking but also quite clear that maybe some of the Adidas designers might have picked him you know chose some of these colors that he already presented and put out there and left in his studio and sort of put those out there as being the thing to kind of make work and obviously someone's got another picture here from 2020 showing the colorways that come out and I think they mentioned a tweet here this person right they said um, this photo is from 2020 is pretty accurate practically every colorway that's released in the past two years is here and the funny thing about it is that all these colorways are ones that Kanye allegedly had designed because I always thought because when he said what he said my immediate thing was to go down to these um was it uh, what are they 700s right I immediately thought some of the 700s that came out didn't especially this kind of aqua blue with this kind of burnt orange midsole as much as I enjoyed that colorway I remember when I first saw it, I immediately thought, is that a real Kanye colorway? Would he put a shoe out with that much paneling with those many different colors? Like, it didn't make any sense at the time. But looking back at it, this does make any sense because these are all shoes that Kanye or colorways that Kanye was showing off during that uh, Business Insider interview. So clearly there was some sort of understanding or acceptance that these were the shoes that they were kind of trying to make. Look, they got some nice boots there. The back look really great. So I don't know. I don't know. Like I said before, I think online, I think it is mostly self-serving when Kanye goes on these rants. He's not really looking out for people. He's mostly looking out for himself because, you know, he's a pretty selfish individual. And most people would regard him as being a consummate narcissist, narcissist or whatever it may be. Um, but obviously the great thing about it is that because he's still making stuff like shoes and fashion, he still gets the service of people. So even though he's all about himself, it does end up kind of benefiting us in society and consumers, you know, at large because we get to enjoy the stuff that he basically has to fight and claw for. But he did kind of play some part in it himself, I think, in terms of the kind of mess he created. But I'm glad to hear they did get it sorted. So hopefully now he's going to move on to Gap and then hopefully then just leave us the fuck alone because hearing him complain about this sort of stuff online is getting a bit annoying. But what do I know? Then over the weekend, um, obviously United beat Arsenal 3-1. Don't have much to talk about about this, to be honest. It is what it is. We smashed them. They're shit. Um, I think Arsenal fans, for the most part, um, were probably getting a little bit too excited about the start of the season because they didn't really face anybody um, substantial, anyone you would imagine that would actually cause them problems. So they probably should have won all those games that they won in the beginning. But obviously Arsenal fans online are a real different breed. Um, they probably, similar to like Liverpool, um, the same way. I feel like Liverpool and Arsenal are pretty decent clubs in terms of what they represent to the English Premier League and what they represent to, you know, football at large. They have incredible stories. Um, they provided us with many incredible moments in football. They've won everything that's available to be won. But for the most part, I feel like their fans are the ones who really turn you off from the club. Not even their players, even though Liverpool and Arsenal have had some very reprehensible players that you might, you know, think are complete pieces of shit. But I feel like for the most part, it's definitely 
the fans that turn you off and I feel like the fans going so overboard in terms of how they thought they were going to play against us and they were going to smash us and it was going to be light work and all this sort of weird insults and this back and forth you get online to the point where people are calling it the social media derby because you know for the most part especially on football twitter Man United fans and Arsenal fans seem to dominate that sort of space especially if you go on stuff like twitter spaces but Overall, I felt like this was always going to happen because United were on the upward trajectory. I feel like we started finally started to click as a team. I feel like we definitely had to come through tougher tests, especially in the beginning, facing teams like Brighton and Brentford, um, teams that play good football, teams that have obviously been coached by managers who have been there for a while, players who have been there for a while, um, football clubs that are generally well run. It was always going to show us up in terms of the dysfunctional nature of United, the fact that we're owned by these terrible owners, the Glazers, the fact that a lot of these players in our squad, in the team, shouldn't be at the club anyway, and just the dysfunctional nature of the whole entire club and how it's run in the fan base. Those two teams are always going to show us up, especially considering how they played against us last season, even though we beat Brentford one time and we drew against Brian. I forgot it was. Anyway, regardless, that was always going to end up that way but from the moment we started to click and the moment Ten Hag started to get his own players in and the players started to trust what he was trying to do it was only going to end one way when we face Arsenal I didn't feel like it was ever going to be anything else but a United win I didn't expect us to win 3-1 but I didn't actually expect Arsenal to win this game at all and I feel like all the moaning that they did about you know the challenges and it wasn't a foul which it clearly wasn't on Odegaard all this nonsense stuff was just real clutching at straws and a real kind of um, lack of acceptance of where Arsenal are as a club. They've still got a long way to go. Maybe longer than we have to go because they spent a lot of their time in the Premier League, especially um, under Wenger, being okay with being like the top four club, right? It was never really any pressure behind them to actually try to win trophies again uh, and be the club they were in yesteryear. So they have a long way to go in terms of mentality that way and just in terms of building their club up and they'll eventually get there. I still think Arteta's a really decent manager. I still think what he's doing there is really decent. I feel like they got some decent players, but they're nowhere near the position that they think they are in their heads and they're definitely not the team that should be thinking that it should be light work playing against my United um, the Anthony Derby was sorry the Anthony debut obviously was absolutely phenomenal um, not more so for his performance because I feel like he did okay but I feel like just in terms of his aggression and his attitude and the way he approaches the game it's quite nice I think I heard someone else saying the other day it's quite nice to we've now changed the makeup of our squad like over time, overnight, we've kind of now got kids in there, especially in the back line. And with the likes of Malasia, who hasn't got a trim, I feel like in the last couple of weeks, he's, he just hasn't cut his hair. Um, with Lissandro Martinez, and with obviously now um, with Anthony coming in, I feel like we've got some hungry, and even Diego Dallo for the most part, because he's been out, you know, kind of trying to get a position back in the team again and trying to fight for his place. We've got players that are hungry, and we've got also, more importantly, we've got the kind of working class. Um, you know, from the mud, playing in cages, um, going to football tries type players. We haven't got the players who have been just in academy since they were two years old, right? Um, always getting the best boots, always being taken to training. We've got kids and guys in this team who are generally hungry to be successful, hungry to make it. And someone like an anti is a good example because he's from the favelas, right? This guy's from the hood. But I also think he has aspirations or probably playing for Barcelona one day because all these Brazilians are like that, right? Barcelona, Real Madrid won these clubs, right? But I feel like he understands how football works and he's probably idolised someone like a Ronaldo and he sees United as a great stepping stone and a great platform to showcase his talent so that he can eventually end up going to those kind of clubs in about, let's say, four years' time, five years' time, whatever it may be. So he's attacking this chance at United, you know, with all he's got. You know, he's not, he's not going to take any prisoners 
He's not going to take it for granted. He's going to go full tilt when it comes to playing United and obviously taking this opportunity that he's got at the moment. So that's what I like about it, that kind of change in attitude. And it definitely does go a long way for myself in terms of being a fan in terms of getting behind the players. So I definitely was encouraged to see that that performance. Obviously, someone like Marcus Rashford also I need to mention because Rashford has been somebody that I've been absolutely blasting for a long, long time. I feel like he's been taking the piss at United for ages and kind of resting on his laurels and maybe the outside stuff he does out of football is distracting him, but it's just in general, his performances on the pitch have been horrendous. Um, the presses, um, the, sorry, the football media's reluctance to call him out in terms of how crap he's been playing has been really annoying too. It feels like the fans are just kind of shouting into the wind and only recently, the last season or so, you've heard pundits kind of like say, Rashford's not playing well and whatever it may be, but for the most part, they were always making excuses for him and it just felt annoying because he was just taking up a position taking up space and not really being useful especially if it terms of being that kind of center forward um winger type player that he was meant to be it's just not the guy anymore right and maybe it's just not that kind of level but for every reason especially now it may not last for a long time but just enjoy it for why it lasts under 10 hour he looks really good marcus Rashford under 10 hour looks really good looks reinvigorated looks like he's hungry again um up front he's not the best going through down the middle he's never going to hold the ball up for you but he's still providing whatever outlet whatever thing that Ten Hag needs up there that he doesn't like in Ronaldo Rashford's providing it in terms of maybe stretching defenders occupying defenders generally keeping the shape um, being a, a threat on the break being a threat when there's space behind like or, or, or when the other team pushes up all those things are important and clearly Rashford is doing that job for Ten Hag and he's enjoying his time so I can't really hate on that and two goals for him against Arsenal as well is going to be good to see so that was great to see and i'm happy about that and then i want to talk about another thing concerning football quickly which is just a general kind of light thing that I thought was interesting was this comment by eric Bailly, right um united center back who's now gone on loan to marseille and probably end up leaving i think permanently especially off the back of this interview i'd imagine but who's somebody that's clearly suffered a lot playing at united especially under the regime of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, right clearly somebody suffered a lot during that regime Obviously, a lot of it he has to kind of look at him, look himself in a window or look at himself in a window, look himself in the mirror. I feel like the whole idea of extreme ownership is really important in these sort of situations because as much as it's, as much as it makes sense to blame the club and past managers and other players for your predicament, I also feel like in general, in life, most of the times you should only look at yourself and what you could have done better to kind of better the situation because you're, you're the only thing that you can control. Everything else is really out of your control. So maybe in this instance, as much as points as Eric Bailly has to kind of, you know, point the finger at certain people in terms of how his career didn't really work out the way he would like to at United, I still think the most of the fault lies with him. But regardless, I feel like his comments were very interesting and very illuminating in terms of the issues that we've had at the club. So this is him giving an interview and he said as follows, Eric Bailly, the club should have avoid favoring English players and give everyone a chance. The club could encourage, so should encourage competition in the dressing room. I always had the impression that the English players was favored, which is something that we always kind of felt under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I felt like for whatever reason, Ole only trusted a very core base of English players that he was, or British players that he was kind of, putting his hat on and for whatever reason he didn't want to rotate those players and it kind of obviously ended up biting him in the bum because they ended up getting sacked and the same players that he trusted ended up kind of throwing him under the bus but I feel like the overarching point of this especially me having played football and being in team sports and just in life in general sometimes in life we are okay I think as human especially if you're like a somewhat decent rational person or somewhat reasonable mature person 
you can be okay to accept if somebody that's better than you or performing better than you gets a promotion before you right it might be hard to take because you've both gone for the interview you've really tried to get the role it hasn't worked out whatever it may be or you're promised certain things and it, you know it kind of got changed at last minute because another candidate came in that was better but if that person is actually better on paper better you know in the job like you know in real life and whatnot even though you're disappointed and you're gutted you can accept it it's fine you're given a chance you didn't take it the other person took it cool shake hands keep it moving but when you work in an industry or in a place, especially when you're playing for a team, where you feel like it doesn't matter how well you perform in training, it doesn't matter how badly the person in front of you plays in a match, their space or their spot on the team is guaranteed. That must be so demoralizing. And I know for myself, I've been there in a very small example. I had a real big fall in that with this um, Sunday league manager that I was playing for one time to the point where we played like a cup final and I was playing all the games and I was kind of involved and coming on here and there. And I think the previous guy before me played really badly in the game before, which was the semi-final. And I thought I was a shooting for the final and it comes to the final, he doesn't play me. And then he brings me on like a, a, 10 minutes ago. Then we end up winning the obviously the cup final, I think at the time, but I end up kind of getting really angry and smashing the, the, the trophy it's a story that my brothers kind of you know tease me about all the time but it's a but the reason why that basically happened was that for whatever reason that manager basically had his favorites and I wasn't one of them but it wasn't because I wasn't good enough it was because he just didn't I wouldn't say he trusted me he just he's preferred those other guys but he didn't give other people on the bench an opportunity to kind of change his mind he just kind of made his mind up those guys are gonna be my guys and then the issue with that is also if they're your guys fair enough they have to perform all the time and keep their spot but sometimes they didn't do that. Sometimes they play poorly and you'd assume, hey, they're playing badly now. Can I have an opportunity to kind of play my part in it as well? He doesn't play you. And that was a position that was really hard to take because it felt like nothing you could do could change that person's opinion. And it was kind of like you're wasting your time, right? Even training, even trying hard, which then obviously um, isn't the best in terms of team morale. You end up being a really bad teammate, a really bad colleague, especially in the dressing room. You know, loads of arguments can kind of transpire off the back of it. So those kind of little things that managers do or some people do in terms of being, you know, um, what's that thing called? Confrontation avoidance, right? Because they don't want to upset their favorite or they don't want to tell you why they actually don't want to play you. All those kind of things can end up being things that end up festering and end up being a real big issue you further down the line you're better off just telling somebody hey i guess you know i just don't like you as a player i think you're crap at football you should just give it up and go start doing youtube or something and i'm never going to play because i just think you're a waste of time then saying then then it being a situation where you don't want to say that and then you also don't want to admit the player that you're playing is also playing crap do you know what i mean so it's a common you're just kind of avoiding this issue all around and it ends up banging the bum as it did with ollie because you end up getting fired um, and it, and obviously this is obviously you know definitely speaking to someone like Harry or Maguire right um, and somebody the Harry Maguire thing is it's hard to I can see both sides because Man United played 80 million for this guy he's the captain of the club um, he's probably going to be England captain he was probably going to be England captain too if Harry Kane was an England captain um, he's a marquee England player um, you know whatever it may be so it's kind of hard for the club to justify you know, rotating him if he's that big guy, unless he's a big manager. Do you know what I mean, I kind of get what they're where they're at in terms of being in a tricky position. It continues. Um, that's not the case at Chelsea or other big Premier League clubs. Some take it for granted that they're going to start and it weakens the team. Exactly. Fortunately, Ten Hag has a lot of character and I hope he can change that. And that's something that I think all of us as United fans have definitely seen over the short time that he's been at the club. He's not afraid to make the big decisions. I think when he first started, he clearly was under the impression that the players that he was inheriting from the previous managers were actually better than what they were. And he was like, I trust them. They finished second and he started them all in the first couple of games of the season. Then he quickly saw they weren't the guys and he made these changes. He 
got his own guys in quickly and then has never kind of turned back. So clearly, he's not afraid to make those kind of big calls. Um, but a lot of the time at United, especially some of these other guys, they got away with murder because they knew they were always going to start. So I like that everybody's kind of calling it out. Um, uh, and he obviously says uh, at the end here, I met with Eric Tohaga in the season when he went to sign a contract. Um, I was packing my bags because my intention was to leave, but he told me he wanted me to stay because he was going to give me everyone minutes. I agreed to go and tour United and he kept his word, but I don't want to play once in a while. I want to play every week, which again, you can't dis you can't be um, mad at that whatsoever, which is funny too, because he's actually saying that, but you haven't heard a peep from fucking who? Who have, who have you heard a peep from? Who have you not heard a peep from? Huh? Who? Who? Who have we not heard a peep from? I'll tell you. Phil Bloody Jones. You remember Phil Jones? Remember him? Remember this absolute C-U-N-T that said he wants to play for the club, thinks he's good enough still. He feels like he can, look, I'll never give up. I'm st I feel like I'm still good enough. Since this article's come out, he's never had another interview. What's another interview come out of him talking about him wanting to leave the club and wanting to push for a move? He hasn't said a word. He's happy to pick up his 70 grand a week. But again, English player, um, you know, if this was a foreign play, they'll be absolutely ripping into him. But because it's English, people kind of avoid it. At least everybody's kind of gone out there and tried to actually further his career and try to play play regular football. You know, with the you know with the providers of trying to obviously make it in the international team also. But it's just interesting the kind of differences when it comes to these kind of players, man. But again, you can't blame these guys, isn't it? It's a short career. If you're able to pick up seventy grand a week at United and they're dumb enough to give you a new contract, then why not take it? But I just find this idea that you can try to lie that you actually want to play and then make no effort to try to go and play by maybe trying to terminate your contract or come to or kind of buy out your buy yourself out of the contract or try and speak publicly about when to make a move to pressure the club to make a move none that's been made it just sits there quietly lies is sitting now collecting a check and keeping it moving you know i guess it is what it is isn't it? i guess it is what it is next on this we're going to quickly talk about is this so um it's coming this is a kind of a short point and just a general overall point that way to make <laughs> because i've been struggling lately and i feel like i need a bit of a reset so sober october is coming up right sober october is coming up and i've only i only started doing it because i listened to joe rogan podcast i didn't i hadn't heard about it prior i don't know if it's actually a thing i do know there's a dry january and something else happens as well i forgot what it is in with the mustache i don't know there's other things involved too when it comes to sobriety but sober october for me was uh one of the things i kind of leaned to because at the time when joe rogan was doing it with um tom segura burt crash and Ari shafir the idea around it was to also learn a new skill pick up a new hobby um you know do a sport whatever maybe involves some sort of physical activity competition type thing it wasn't just being sober which is great but obviously the fact that they're all stand-up comedians and they kind of live a life of indulgence, them having to like abstain from any drugs or alcohol was a big deal. But obviously the sport aspect for me was an actual big deal because I get the opportunity to kind of commit to being like, hey, I'm going to go gym every day for the, for the month of October. I'm going to run every day for the month of October. I'm whatever maybe you're going to do. I'm going to go to CrossFit every day. I'm going to go to Muay Thai, whatever it may be. That's something that caused, kind of drew me to it. But over the last couple of weeks or so, even though I have said on this podcast a lot of the times that I feel like my raving has really improved because of this kind of awakening I had when I went to um, 
when I went to flipping E1 for the Labyrinth event um, with uh, flipping Henrik Schwartz and um, Arm. And I kind of realized that, hey, I could actually have a good time not drinking. Even though I had a couple of drinks before I left my house, I didn't actually buy any drinks at a club, which is something that I don't usually ever do. I always kind of buy a drink at a club. I always have a drink on the way there, outside there, all that sort of stuff, right? Loads of loads of kind of UK British pre-drinking before obviously doing any more drugs when I go into the club. But this time around, I thought, no, I'm just going to stick to the drugs. And I'm just going to leave the alcohol alone. And I had a barnstorming night, a great night. We were there from like 12 to 7 when the event was on. So just seven hours of straight raving, getting sweaty, partying, you know, you know, pill after pill, whatever it may be. But the lack of apps, the lack of drinking alcohol really made a big change in how I reacted or how I responded the next day. The hangover one was brutal. I was pretty much fine to go to the gym the next day. I was fine as dandy. And clearly it showed me this is where I need to kind of go going forward. But obviously I've had my indulgences and one of my indulgences was last weekend. I ended up getting a little bit white get wasted and kind of drinking way too much and, you know, doing too many drugs as well. So I kind of feel like I need to reset myself and kind of get back to that even kill. And I feel like Sober October would be great to do it because I can then start doing other stuff on top of that which means you know adding stuff like you know avoiding social media or like not putting on twitter or not being on social media in general for the whole 30 days uh, making sure that i sleep a certain time like all these kind of things i'm going to end up doing i'm going to make a list of the things i want to do and then kind of stick to it it's going to be crazy it's going to be pretty nuts but i think i'm going to look at it when i'm i'm going to look at the end of the, of the month and be really happy that i did it and then obviously as a kind of gift to myself when i end up finishing it because you know as any kind of functioning um addict and these sort of things you end up kind of giving yourself a big reward that you kind of end up looking forward to i'm definitely going to end up booking a really barnstorming weekend of kind of partying and kind of indulgencies in places like berlin or going to amsterdam or something in november at the obviously the first weekend of november when obviously sober october finishes that'll be something that i'll definitely end up doing but i definitely feel like i do need to reset myself and get back to an even kill because you know sometimes especially when it comes to alcohol stuff it's not really conducive to really having a successful life in the slightest it really isn't especially if you party it just takes too much time away i think it's maybe okay if you're able to have a couple of drinks of a meal or something but even then it just makes you like a daisy call you end up looking really bloated you end up having that brendan short face um again the, the hangovers are awful because it takes away time that you could be spending doing the things that you need to do to further your life to whatever it may be to kind of advance your career it just takes away so much time you waste so much time that's what it is you waste a lot of time being hungover whereas drugs i feel like because they're number one expensive especially the ones i do they're quite expensive and i don't get them regularly um and also you know it's not fun to do them regularly on your own or to you want to do it when you want to go to a party and stuff and again partying in london isn't cheap so, um, is, is so you obviously end up only going out once a month or whatnot so you can kind of keep that to some level of you know normality but then you don't have the brutality of being, you know, hungover all the time and your head hurting and just feeling absolutely horrible. So I'm really looking forward to doing Sober October. And um, this really cool, funny little video that um, Ari Shafir done, I'm going to quickly play for you that I thought was really fun, um, where he kind of makes a little promo reel about it. And hopefully you guys find it as funny as I did.
Comfy Jump, Comfy Tom, Comfy Brad. Oh, this time October, who do you want as your champion? Do you want some rich, highfalutin motherfucker with his high-tech wife and fancy workout gear that does all this shit for him? Or do you want a man of the people? Ari Shafir. I do my own chores. I fuck my own people. I make my own meals. I'm Ari Shafir, and I'm a man of the people. I'm who you want this sober October. I only have a way to lay in out of you. I just have to use this phone. I'm Ari Shafir, and I hope I can count on your vote for Sober October Champion 2022. <laughs> pretty good in it so yeah let's, let's see what happens um it should be interesting to see what how they go i think burt's obviously gonna need it more than anyone in that group he's looking absolutely horrendous lately i watched that something's burning with mark norman and bobby lee and his face is so red um i guess a lot of it is a skin condition i remember he said he's got some sort of skin condition thing but also i'm, I'm assuming drinking as much beer he does doesn't obviously help even though i said obviously in previous pods that i still think he kind of fakes how much he actually drinks but he's clearly an indulging indulgent kind of guy so having the ability to kind of stave off i remember the first First time he did it and he lost so much weight he looked incredible in this button-up shirt and stuff like but you know it's pretty difficult if you just live a life of being a, an adult so flipping teenager to somehow go to living a somewhat kind of straight edge kind of life but let's see what they end up doing what the challenge is going forward but i'm definitely looking forward to it like i said i'm going to reward myself with a crazy berlin weekend unfortunately it won't be that crazy because i think i'm working that weekend so i'll probably have to just you know um continue working um as i'm out there or whatnot but in general i'm definitely going to have that ability to maybe abstain from all the stuff that i would usually do on that month in terms of partying and going out and you know kind of you know dipping and dabbling and wasting time on youtube and social media and then picking up stuff again that i was doing so often prior that i've kind of left on the wayside like running like reading a lot um watching documentaries writing taking photography pictures and shit or just taking pictures in general and publishing all that stuff out all that kind of good stuff doing dj mixes all the stuff that i kind of wish i would do more regularly i'm gonna do obviously do a lot on during sober october because i feel like it's be the great chance opportunity to do so because i'll have no other distraction in the end of the month or when you know when the end happens i'll have a chance to celebrate and obviously i'll probably end up doing a live stream on that and making that somewhat fun so it'll be cool to see hopefully some of you guys join along if you don't then pick some month anyway in the year because i think it's important especially for myself you know being a flipping um full-time party addict it's quite nice to have the ability it's quite nice to know sometimes when you go out as much as i do that you know that you're not addicted to the the druggy alcohol side of things because that can sometimes be something that can kind of get you a bit lost in the source because I know a lot of people like that who have kind of had that thing where they kind of you know they go out a lot and they sometimes do get lost in the source sometimes because of the city they live in because it's cheap to go out and shit and you can just indulge or just because of the scene that they're in loads of access to stuff bloody blah blah blah, blah. Um, it can happen to anybody I'm not saying it's to judgment or whatever but it's nice to know when you do have a break that you're not doing it for those reasons so sometimes i'll you know especially when i was doing it when i went i think i went to Berlin. i've said many times i went to berlin uh, i think around january time a few years ago for some work thing and i was happening to do like a jag january and i happened and i didn't know i was going but it's like a last minute i was like fuck so i'm going to berlin now like all expenses paid on a company card which is a whole different vibe when you go to those kind of places like, imagine you go to a place anyway and then you're now going to it with a company card it's like why so you're able to do what you want. We ended up going to this Adidas party that Kano was flipping, emceeing at. It was in some weird venue, cool venue. And they had this big fridge on the wall that just was full of Heineken beers that you just literally take out yourself. And then behind you, there was a bar that they just gave you free drinks. Like they just made you flipping um, cocktails based on the menu, right? 
um, which is crazy. And Kano was obviously performing and all Adidas out and stuff. It was crazy. And I think they was giving some free shoes, but I missed that. But it was just a nuts kind of fully comped out sort of media day type thing. And I was completely sober. Do you know what I mean? Not drinking at all. And then people ended up going out to Bergheim. We went to Bergheim after. And I was sober there the whole time. It was just a wild experience. But the great thing about it, the really gratifying thing about it, when I went back to my hotel room, was I was smiling from ear to ear because I was so happy. I was like, wow, now I know that I love this shit for real. I'm not just in this for the drugs and alcohol and the ladies and whatnot and the fame. No, I'm in it for the love of the music. I want to actually become a somewhat... Um, consummate DJ that's able to get played in these or booked in these kind of great places I want to have the ability to make the money that is able to afford me the opportunity to go to travel to these places to go and visit them as a punter I'm not just there just to go get white get wasted which is a real real um, for me anyway it felt like a real comforting thing to see because I didn't want to waste my time at these places I went to and you know get inspired get motivated see the things that I love you know uh, ingratiate my, myself in the scene um, what not all that good stuff I also didn't want to get lost no source because that is completely something that i don't want to do at all because i think it's s-a-d s-a-d next on the list we've got this pretty cool story <laughs> chris rock has finally responded to will smith's apology i didn't feature the will smith apology because i'm a big will smith fan and you know it's been hard to see will smith um turn into this person who he is now i just it's just hard especially being an, ad, an avid will smith fan um especially from the fresh prince days and just generally how he's done you know how he's kind of navigated his hollywood career and the blockbuster movies that he's done and stuff whatnot and even how he's done his music and even more so just how he's raised his family especially with his kids right i always felt like um Jada and Will don't really get the credit that they deserve. They don't get the credit that they deserve for raising two pretty well-adjusted kids in like Jaden Smith and Willow Smith, right? They seem to be the most well-adjusted, you know, insanely rich, wealthy, privileged kids in Hollywood that you've ever seen. Like, it's really bizarre. Obviously, Jaden's got his kooky bits and his kind of eccentric parts about him, but in terms of just being general, well-mannered children who are not really in the headlines for the bat for the wrong reasons, they've kind of done it really well. And I guess you have to give those pa those parents of of theirs, sorry, a lot of credit but this version of Wolf we're seeing at the moment this version of Jada Pinkett Smith it's just really hard to take and to kind of you know um, watch from afar and obviously what happened with Chris Rock and Will Smith at the Oscars was just you know it was just like Jesus Christ what are we watching this in real time and then he decided to do this whole big PR thing about going to India and going on a tree and going to a silent retreat and getting one of himself like all this really corny cringy stuff right to the point where I was thinking for the love of God I hope these family don't decide to do a red table talk and address all these issues which they haven't done I think for once they've kind of read the room they've kind of realized that the the, the, the kind of climate or the tone around them or the reception around them has definitely changed people don't love them as much as they did in the past I know I don't as much as I did in the past so they kind of um, put that to one side which was fine but then Will Smith decided to do this weird branded video where he sat down with some sponsor thing and it was just awful right and he kind of tried to apologize and make it seem sincere and make it seem like it wasn't planned it was just annoying just everything about it was annoying but he did it it's alright but I hated everything about it and in it he basically if I felt like kind of gaslit Chris Rock by basically saying that hey he I still haven't heard a reply from him so he's kind of did this kind of like yo I text you I called you now I'm doing this thing in public so you, you kind of acknowledge me and I feel like if you fuck up with people you can obviously send them an apology but they don't owe you a response they don't owe you um 
a conversation even. They don't owe you anything. You can say what you want to them, but they're free to also not reply in the slightest. Um, and I feel like, you know, going around and apologizing to somebody and expect them to reply when you want them to reply is incredibly entitled and absolute, and absolutely takes away from the apology. It really does make, not make it sincere and awfully makes it something that you're just making about you because you want yourself to feel well or whatnot, right? You're not really kind of... Um, understanding of the other person's feelings and emotions or whatnot, whatever it may be. And I think Chris Rock did and made a really good point um, during one of his live shows, I think that's taken from, and which I think kind of applies to AJ as well, right? Anthony Johnson and what he's kind of going through post um, his second loss to Usyk. So it follows as follows. This is Chris Rock, right? Um, this is an article courtesy of Vibe. It says, Chris Rock has seemingly responded to Will Smith's apology video. During his Saturday London 02 on Saturday, Chris Rock took time to address Smith and his uh, July apology. According to Deadline, Chris Rock made a defiant statement towards the Fresh Prince during a line in the sand between them. He said, fuck your apology video. So clearly he's not fucking with Will Smith at all, which I, I understand. Expressed to the crowd. The comedian then dove in a bit to the impact of Will Smith's life. He said, yes, that shit hurt. He played Ali. I can't even play for more <laughs> Mayweather, right? Cool. In addition to The Rock's performance, Chappelle also hit the stage to give the force an infamous slap. Chappelle admitted that he wouldn't have known what to do after Will Smith slapped him, but reassured the crowd that Smith wouldn't have enjoyed the rest of the night. So clearly Chappelle is saying, look, I would have fucked that guy if he could not slap me like that. Towards the end of the set, Chappelle comedian asserted that Will Smith was wearing a... Towards the end of the set, Chappelle show comedian asserted that Smith was wearing a mask for more than three decades, which is definitely a point I think made I made towards AJ and how weird he was after the end of that fight that he lost, right? coming at the end of that weird rant and just generally how he's been carrying himself since that and it says the following says will smith did an impression of a perfect man for 30 years said the comedian i just hope he doesn't put that mask back on and ross can ross and chappelle continue to tour the uk and ireland and then return to america towards in september so i think this is something that i definitely have agreed with like this idea of like wearing a mask being one way for a long time but then even though he did it for 30 years eventually that mask will fall eventually your real self will come to it because you can't fake being you can't you can't fake who you are for that long or forever basically it just doesn't work and um i feel like especially nowadays with, with the way media is and the way people respond to certain people online i feel like the more authentically you are yourself the more you're obviously going to divide opinion amongst people and people are going to really not like you because they just don't fuck with your opinions or how you kind of present yourself but i think what it also does is that it doesn't allow any for any gray area. It doesn't allow for any confusion. It also allows for the fans to know exactly where you are, who you are, what you stand for, and for in case any kind of you know stuff comes out about you after the fact, they can kind of maybe excuse it in their minds. Like, yeah, I knew that all along. I mean, I know what this guy's like. I know what he's about. Bloody blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, Will Smith is kind of going through it. Will he recover from this? I don't know. I don't necessarily care. I feel like sometimes it's it's. Even if you don't decide to retire, maybe the industry decides to retire for you um, and that maybe the audience decided they had enough of you and sometimes you have to accept it. And I feel like sometimes when you don't accept it, it becomes really sad. People kind of see you trying to hold on. But overall, I'm done with it. I'm absolutely done with that entire family. I could not care in the slightest. So moving on from that, we have this really interesting article courtesy of RA that I wanted to talk about because obviously it's something that kind of um, aligns with me and speaks to me and what I'm kind of going through in terms of my journey in terms of trying to become a full-time DJ or no, not even a full-time DJ. I want to become a DJ that's able to get booked and play at certain places, but I don't want to be the only thing that I do. I obviously want to do the stuff that I'm doing now. So it's not just going to be me touring the world or over the place. I want to be doing this, making my art, you know, um, doing my photography, 
uh, you know, doing this podcast, doing YouTube stuff. That's all I want to do. And also DJing, but it's not going to be the only thing that I do. But it's still interesting to see regardless. So this is an article courtesy of RA. It says how to make it as an artist, right? And obviously it's mostly got a kind of DJ tint to it, but there's obviously some um, actual artists who have been featured on there who actually make some music to it and want to become stars in their own right in that way. And the reason why this is interesting because it also made me think about this podcast I recently listened to with Tim Dillon, where he said something along the lines about, I forgot which one it was, maybe a Patreon one, about how, um, in general, I, mean, I think if someone asked him about advice or something, right, how he feels awkward and people asking for advice because he feels like there's nothing he can say to really help them. And they're also kind of robbing themselves of the journey. They're robbing themselves of it by wanting to have like the secret key or the one bit of advice that's going to change everything. You're kind of robbing yourself of that journey that's meant to hurt, meant to be painful. You're meant to go through some growing pains. You're meant to learn things, meant to lose friends, lose money, um, go through breakdowns, breakthroughs before you make it. And you obviously have to do that all on your own. And I think you made that point about being on your own, about there's nothing I can do. You just have to figure it out by yourself. And most people won't want to tell you because they also figured that out by themselves. So there's kind of, what's a resentment, but there, there is this a sort of, um, not even survivor's guilt. What do you call it resentment? I don't know what it is, but there must be something in people who are successful, who have made it. When they hear people asking them for advice, that's a bit like, why should I tell you when I had to figure it out myself sort of thing, which I can kind of get, but also makes me a bit annoyed because I feel like for whatever reason, especially in the DJ world, there is something you see quite often. You don't really see a lot of people bringing people through you don't really see a lot of djs doing what nastia did with um daria or whatever her name is right where she sort of um put her arm around her shoulder a, a, a kind of again we, we have to take what nastia said with a pinch of salt but according to what nastia said she kind of put her arm around daria's shoulder and kind of brought her through right and kind of guided her in the kind of early parts of her career which are usually the most important parts i feel like um especially if you're a dj because i feel like those early sort of like first impressions you make at those early spots that you get recommended to usually kind of set the precedent because i know for me being a promoter and even coming up in my local scene those early sets that i took seriously where i played in pubs for 10 people ended up being the opportunity that I got to then playing actual clubs because people saw me taking that shit seriously coming on time being a pleasure to deal with and then they're like hey we're going to give you this other opportunity so clearly for Nastia she feels like those chances were really you know important for Darius' career now in general in DJ world you don't really see that often you don't really see a lot of DJs who are senior or who have kind of in the industry longer who will be willing to put their arm around the shoulder of a certain artist coming up or a DJ and say hey I'm going to guide you I'm going to get you these early gigs I'm going to maybe give you gigs that I don't want to do and then kind of get opportunity to get in and kind of mentor you through your process in the early stage it doesn't really happen people kind of make it on their own or they put a track out it's not really like a it's not really like a peer thing or like a bringing you in thing or like a collective thing it's just like we're doing it on our own as a group or individually which is kind of strange but anyway and i think this and i think the reason why is because this article basically proves it because there is no clear way to make it and there is no set sort of like steps you can go through and everyone's journey is completely different and most advice people are going to give you is absolutely bullshit like it doesn't apply to anything. Like it's just a matter of just kind of putting your head down. And I'm sticking to myself in this regard, but it's just a matter of putting your head down and doing the work. Doing the work for me means obviously recording DJ mixes, um, clipping those videos online, sharing on social media, which I'm always shy to do, putting them on Instagram, making, you know, putting the mixes up online, sharing those and promoting those, I'm always shy to do all those things that I don't do. If you do those consistently, on a yeah, on a consistent basis, on a consistent basis, sorry, um, to a high level, 
dead you may make it but there is no guarantee either but this idea that these articles actually shed any light on anything is nonsense because i read through it and it was just gobbledygook it didn't say anything it didn't really help anything it just kind of told you the journey that these people went through and how they made it but again none of this can be none of this none of this is applicable and some of it can be applicable so let's just read a couple of it right so it says while success in the electronic music scene this is courtesy of ra right this is um how to make us nice while success in the music industry sorry music um can mean everything from simply playing your rent to headlining tomorrowland fame has just as many faces in the industry today to some it looks like being in a sorry billboards by of peggy goo or 150 million Spotify stream of bicep track glue it also manifests as a buzz behind um fred jack's label how you pronounce their name spandu 20 or as fans of likes on the video of kobolsi dressed in his own fashion label fame is also like the nina on a cover of spotify's atelier playlist anyway um, it's the potentially multi-billion dollar question of anyone's mind. How can you make it in 2022? While the quest of widespread recognition and acclaim feels a part of the parcel of pursuing a career in pop and hip-hop, electronic music's relationship with fame and success is more fraught and opaque, which is definitely true. This is the case not only because commercialization has been declared an enemy of the underground, but also because the roadmaps of success have been broadened over the bedroom, over the boardrooms of major labels don't necessarily apply to DJs and producers in the current landscape. It says as follows. Um, you can't just look at the trends of the macro industry and attempt to apply those tactics to your career said Ari Herstand the author of bestseller How to Make It in the Music Industry this especially is a case in 2022 for two years COVID-19 closures and quarantine stalled ice careers but the industry continued to evolve now the quest of fame be it local or national or global is in many cases a matter of hacking the algorithm if we think quote unquote blowing up as a Molotov cocktail what is the equivalent to a bottle of fuel and a wick a viral moment a fruitful connections of endorsements the right label manager publicist innovative brand luck as is typical with the case with the challenging multiple questions this answer is all of the above which is definitely true um one ingredient of success nowadays is the artist footprint on major video streaming platforms afro pacifica dj lady shaka remembers watching in disbelief as comments of appreciation reigned in on her boiler room set um which immediately after upload on youtube seemingly overnight her instagram exploded and bookings poured in despite it being a remarkably memorable performance done in collaboration with a local indigenous ballroom scene um the dj says that she would have never anticipated the impact the intention was not to create a viral moment it was just to do something for the community as a general community as a generally as i could but when i saw that people from the diaspora or who are indigenous in other countries um could relate it changed the way that i perceived my set although lady shaka was already well established before again they didn't point out beforehand right <laughs> she caught sights as the major turning point to be honest um, without that boiler room my career wouldn't have been platform as much as it is which is interesting because a lot of um of the snobby dance music types on twitter and social media have a lot of negative things to say about boiler room but i always say in general for all the bad that they've done boiler room have done more good than bad especially in terms of um you know platforming and propelling certain djs careers into the flipping stratosphere um Many, many DJs have said, some of them through gritted teeth, that they would never have become successful as they are without that Boiler Room endorsement. And it really did go a long way to kind of changing their career. And again, stuff like Boiler Room, how do you get one? Who do you email? Do you have to wait for them to approach you? Do you approach them? Like, what approach do you go for? Like, it's all questions that people don't know and don't really get answers to. You don't necessarily hear Boiler Room coming out telling you, hey, here's how to get a DJ set on our platform. It's all kind of opaque. It's all kind of, you know, misty-eyed, whatever it may be. But clearly, we know, especially as up-and-coming DJs or people that are trying to make an industry, we know that that platform does have some pull and does have something because of the eyes that their platform, ex um, you know, 
gets and because of people who kind of watch it especially people in the industry who kind of want to book people because the good thing about that platform because it's so commercially minded um you would imagine if you can get people to view the things on there most of the people that are going to be watching Ballroom are quite normie kind of punters. So if you are a promoter that's kind of just going by the algorithm and going by view counts, you could predominantly, you could probably, if you're smart enough, book a pretty decent lineup and get people to actually buy tickets and come to your event and actually spend money at the bar just based on the views that people are getting. So it's a great way to kind of also gauge, okay, who's actually got a draw, who's got an audience, blah, 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 blah. So clearly there's something there. But again, do we know how to get in there? Of course we don't. So you just kind of figure out yourself, um, which is obviously okay and fine but that's the only bit that's annoying about it no one actually told you that that fact of the matter is that the truth of the matter is that in anything in life think about think about yourself when it comes to regular jobs forget DJing when was the last time genuinely right in your life in your career where somebody said to you hey I can hook you up with a job at this place and it's actually happened maybe you could maybe someone's told you hey I could hook up with the interview I can get an introduction but when's the last time somebody said to you hey I know this person I know someone that works over there I can hook you up it's the, it never happens because it doesn't happen that way in life like most of the things you got you get in life are usually done through the sweat of your own brow right usually are done through your own elbow grease they're not done through somebody giving you something on a plate it never works out that way and the same thing happens with DJing but Maybe because DJing is so collaborative and club music or dance music is so collaborative in terms of many people that work in there and there's so many moving parts. Sometimes you can you can have that idea, that fanciful idea that somebody's out there looking out for you and stuff, but they're not really. They're not paying attention to you. They're working on what they're working on. And you have to maybe make yourself good enough to get their attention. But again, you have to do it yourself. There is no bringing. <laughs> Sorry, for the most part, it doesn't really exist. Um, it continued to actually. Let me see who's this person. The lady, let me. I actually want to see this set. This lady Shaka set. Let me actually see if I can get up on the screen because I'd love to see what it actually sounded like. Because I guess it's the first set that they did at Boiler Room, right? Um, that actually kind of set them on the trajectory to become the success that they are now at the moment. Let's actually hear and see what this set sounded like. I'm really interested. So, the, the Boiler Room, let's get up on the screen here. Okay, this, okay, this is definitely the first one. Is it the first one? 10 months or one year ago? Okay, it's definitely 10 months. Oh, one year ago. Look at that. Look at the views. I actually watched it. I didn't remember. So this is the, this is the set. Can you see that on the screen? This Lady Shaka Boiler Room New Zealand um, filth from one year ago. And it's got 187,000 views, which is really good for a boiler room because especially from coming from a DJ that I'm guessing is going to be playing um, probably something bass type music, whatever it may be. And it's definitely from a niche sort of scene so to get those kind of views being that kind of person is definitely good especially in boiler room because again like i said it's full of kind of normie sort of punters let's see actually see what he actually sounds like. i forgot the sound of it let's hear this okay i'll take it back it's not bass there's um this is i'm a piano right nice okay you can see why this did well in it right it's a real diverse set of people everyone generally looks like they're having a good time which is usually rare for boiler room crowds because people are just stuck up and just i don't know way too aware of the cameras and whatnot they're having a good time they're clearly all gone out and got dressed up and looked cute to support their friends and show out and just have a blast and clearly it's representing a whole different you know uh, group of people who I don't necessarily see get featured on Boiler Rooms people from New Zealand so all that stuff is absolutely amazing so it makes sense why this would have resonated with people <laughs> 
And again, these these are things as a DJ you can't control. If you're not, imagine if you're not this person, if you're just like a regular white girl, right? Who lives in fucking Ilford and just wants to get involved in the scene and you just want to play your basic bitch fucking house music, which is, got, which is no, there's no issue with that whatsoever. Everyone's got their thing they want to play. This is what you have to kind of compete against. You know what I mean? So it's a really interesting world. It's a really interesting world out there. It's kind of whitewashed. It's kind of full of loads of straight white dudes. But then the other end of things as well, if you are a straight white dude, you have to compete with this which is, you know, it's hard to compete with because you've got, you know, you're, you're lacking in seasoning. <laughs> you don't have any sort of juice. Oh, I haven't heard, um, what is, what the hell is this? Not Kido, this is not, this is not, this is, um, oh, what's it? This is Angolan music, isn't it? Is this Kizomba? Or Kuduro, right? It's Kuduro. Yeah, this is Kuduro, Kuduro. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, now I get why. I get why this did well. I guess the why they did well. I guess why they did well. I get it. But anyway, that's 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 the thing. Let's go back to the article before I kind of get too engrossed in this one. Um, it continues on. Da, 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 da. Uh, Lord's great viral moment. That's obviously the DJ there, Lady Shaka. So big up her. It continues. Um, just the day before a phone call yeah this is a good one too because I feel like this DJ called FKA M4A somebody that I kind of got only hip to um, courtesy of the platform called Whore right which is this one right let's actually put the, the name on here F4A was it FKA is it FKA M4A is that it yeah that's somebody I only got familiar with by watching their sets on flipping the whole Berlin, right? Absolutely smashed loads of these, as you can see. Some of them red, I've actually checked out over the years and stuff. And again, only found this person out via the platform of watching them play on flipping um, this online radio station. As you can see, some of the first appearances they had on there two years ago, 8.8 .8 views. And a year later, 8.18, another 8.8. .8. Uh, 7.9, 8.4, 9.3, 15.15k, like clearly an uptick in kind of the, you know, the response. And then of course on Boiler and 37,000, it's kind of gone from strength to strength. And I think he definitely played at Bergheim recently too. So definitely, this has definitely worked out for them. It continues to say, so it's the courtesy of the article. It says, just the day before our phone call, DJ FKA M4A was flown in a small private jet from one festival to another. Imagine how great that must feel. I've gone on so many gigs where I've had to pay for my own transport, pay for my own accommodation, uh, pay for my own food, <laughs> right? So imagine going from playing, you know, like that and then going somehow, you're now playing, you're now flipping jumping on private jets. Again, it's only domestic, but still, that's going to feel flipping swaggy. And from one festival in Germany to another, a courtesy that the second festival extended to ensure the artist who goes by the pronouns they, them, could still play the the, uh, the first. I thought that kind of stuff only happened with headliners, they said, when reflecting on their surreal where we in the weekend. FKA began playing military music at the end of 2000. Oh, see, this is the thing that's annoying. I've been DJing since fucking, what is it? It's been 10 years now. What, what was the first time I played? Was it 2015 or like... 2013 or something like that. <laughs> anyway let's continue no one's journey is the same but anyway, let's continue although it might sound in in, in, in a pro sorry in opportune timing for fka and for a covid19 was helpful uh rather than hurtful which i definitely agree with because they were able to just get straight onto the live streaming trend where i was kind of being shy and i was being too flipping um you know just 
didacted when it comes to that sort of stuff. I didn't want to put myself out there. I'm, I'm from the school where you don't show your stuff. Where you just kind of do your thing on the sly or under, undercover without no one knowing. But in this era, you got to show and prove. You have to show your thing. You have to show people what you do. And obviously, if you kind of jumped into DJing at 2019 and COVID started in the 2019, you're just going straight into live streaming. You don't see any problem with it. You're native to live streaming. It's okay to put your video up online. It's okay to share your clips online and to share your mixes. It makes complete sense. So... De definitely again an illustration of what stuff that I've kind of missed out and I didn't do right so it continues um, I'm a child of a generation of whore says they said referring to the Berlin radio station that became uh, a celebrity in its own right during the pandemic when FKM 4A was invited to play the set in honour of whore's first birthday party in 2020 they came prepared it's intimidating to play in front of a camera so I brought two of the most energetic creative cancers I know that to, to take attention off of me by the end of the set the walls are dripping with sweat okay let's see so that, that was the first set that they did this one with the two friends is it this where is it with the two friends where is it us oh, i missed it i missed it is it this one with the two friends is that with the pink bandana on or is it a white bandana it's a white bandana isn't it? where is it was it this set i don't know which one is this oh this is the one this okay this is the first set it did it's got forty thousand views god damn it whole one year anniversary so let's see let's get a picture there to start off with Looks cool though, doesn't it? Right? Two of the friends in the background. Um, great uh, sleeveless Nike tank top with the LGBTQ flag on it. Headband looking cool. The nipples bursting out from the side. You know, starving for some fresh air and some air conditioning and some attention. It definitely looks good. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. That was good, that was good, that was good. Let's go back to the article. Um, da, 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 da. They came prepared, intimidating. By the end of it, the walls were sweating. As Hall's visibility con continued to skyrocket, so did the visibility of gay for vivacious set, sorry. That Pacific showcase is how my agency found me. Two months later, FK4 was booked at Panorama Bar. Oh my God. Lord, let that, why can't this be me? Honestly imagine doing a live set on a flipping youtube channel and then two months later you get booked at panorama bar are you absolutely kidding me but also what that goes to show which is why i love the bergheim which i keep talking about it again and again clearly there's people who book at the bergheim who are very open-minded because i feel like it, it wasn't obviously bergheim watching his set and booking him it was clearly him getting signed to his agency and then some of these agency being like hey this guy would fit what you guys are doing and then them being open and not thinking, oh, he's only started DJ a couple of years ago. Why am I going to get him involved? They're really open to seeing it, which is the opposite here in the UK. I feel, like. I feel like UK people are a little bit more stingy, a little bit more clicky with how they bring it. I wouldn't expect them to do the same thing with somebody in the UK. You'd have to really struggle and graft to get the opportunity. Whereas there, they seemed a bit more open-minded. Like, as long as it's coming from a recommendation from a friend of this agency, they're willing to kind of give it a chance. But, oh, what an amazing story. It continues. They accredited much of their success and almost a tremendous amount of it to gratitude to their team of incredible agents they're making everything i dream of reality happen and it all comes down to those live streams just over a year after having the whole birthday set fk more m4a open instagram to see a dm from peggy goo incredible who invited them to play at their release party and who opened for her in Mannheim. um she has become a mentor and a dear friend i call her mama they said which is interesting because i was sure this kind of person would want to shit on someone like a peggy goo after but then suddenly when she's dming you saying she wants to work with you suddenly she becomes your mom and your friend i get it i get it but in general i'm not gonna read the whole thing because it's going to be boring if you don't care about this sort of stuff but i'll put the link in the show description in the end in conclusion 
what this told me and what this taught me and what this showed to me was that there is no one way to make it. I knew that already. There is no reason, though, there is no point of asking for help. I knew that already because I'm somebody that doesn't ever ask anyone for help. I always do things on my own. I've nearly got 600 episodes of a podcast here because I hate asking people for interviews because I feel like people end up big timing you. I feel like, you know, I don't know. I just, I just want to do stuff on my own. I end up never following through with the interview, all that kind of good stuff because why not? Um, but in general, in general, you really need to learn your lessons on your own. You need to kind of go through this kind of rocky, creative, artistic path on your own, figure out your mistakes, f figure out the things that you're doing right, learn from your mistakes, all this sort of bad stuff, all this sort of good stuff. And finally, maybe in the end, you might get there. And maybe you might not. That's the absolutely brutal part of it also. But I feel like for me, because I love this thing as much, you know, as anyone, uh, as more as anybody, what am I not talking properly? But you know what I mean, right? I love this shit for real. I'm not actually bothered about the whole like, oh, you have to make it at a certain time. I don't really give a shit. If this happens when in 10, five years, I don't care. The fact that I'm able to do the thing that I love and if, you know, that I would do for free anyway and someone would pay me for it would be absolutely amazing. But it's quite reassuring to read these articles because generally what it kind of proves to me is that the sort of roadblocks I've been running into are obviously mostly self-inflicted because, again, I'm not doing the things I need to be doing in terms of recording mixes, doing radio shows, uh, plugging myself online, just being a bit more of a general presence out there because I don't feel like if you actually, if you, unless you actually look deeply into what I do, you wouldn't know that I DJ either. So I get I have to be more kind of front-facing. And in general, just kind of putting yourself out there and just hoping that it happens, but it doesn't have to happen the way these things can happen. It could happen anywhere. Um, but it's also nice to know that the struggle is real across the board. That's also good to know, right? The struggle is real across the board. Sometimes you can be getting absolutely air on road and then suddenly you do one thing and it can completely blow you up and take you to the next stratosphere. But it is obviously important just to kind of focus on what you do and kind of hone in on that craft. But these articles just end up kind of, if you're not kind of strong-minded, you can end up sometimes be a bit disgruntled with these articles because you read that sentence or that kind of account for that kid that said he started in 2019 and now he's getting booked at flipping Berghain a couple of years later. It's like oh fucking hell whatever i gone wrong mate whatever i absolutely gone wrong but in general doesn't matter everyone's got their journey um big up to everybody who's featured on an article and hopefully soon in my own journey i can maybe somehow make it to those kind of lofty you know places and even further when i finally end up getting my chance in it that's the goal that is the goal talking about djing and talking about all things interesting in that regard this is pretty cool and it happened uh one week ago right in dc and circa loco right at dc 10 and this features skepta so skepta was invited to go and play a dj set at circa loco dc 10 i'm not actually sure why i'm not sure if it was part of a bigger story that they're trying to put together or if it was something that he'd spoken to with the people behind the scenes at circa loco about doing and they said hey we'd like to get you involved i'm not sure what the overall plan is of it but if you're a long time grime fan as i am i've been listening to grime for all my life i was recording sets on flipping record players and cassette players uh, back in the day at home i'd be listening to dwe you know be spraying on the, I, I, I know dwe lyrics back to front front to back um i'd be listening to clashes online all that good stuff right? i'm a flipping obsessed with this shit this is my stuff this is what i love and um some of you would know being a big grime fan obviously skepta being from boy better know and whatnot meridian crew all that sort of stuff skepta started actually off as a dj he actually started off being the resident dj for that whole entire group and then over time he started obviously transitioning into being an mc when they started to get other djs included but that's where his roots have always been and i've always felt like especially him being 
the well-round artist that he is at the moment because you wouldn't even describe him as a grime artist now he's just an overall great artist who happens to kind of rap in a grime-ish cadence but overall he's kind of evolved into this really cool artist who somehow avoided all the traps that dizzy kind of fell into in terms of kind of chasing the money chasing the number ones going to commercial i don't know how skeptic's done it he's just done it in a really good way like in a very long-term way too in a very kind of long long term in a very sort of like um slow way he didn't kind of rush towards it he did it in a very slow way and he's kind of built his own little thing going on that he does at the moment right you can't even categorize it's very interesting I always felt like it would be a great opportunity if he did actually go DJ because obviously he's got the he's got the he's got the chops for it. He can obviously know how to mix and now that he's kind of broadened his kind of social group and he tends to be somebody that clearly is somebody that has a lot of wanderlust. He goes out to different places, he visits different places. He's clearly got a very diverse set of group of friends and whatnot. He's not just kind of you know um, stuck within his um, grime hood kind of friend circle type of things. He seems to be in the right circles in the UK, in Europe, whatever it may be. It'd just be a waste opportunity if he didn't do it. So I was thinking about that recently, and it kind of was funny or serendipitous that when I was thinking about, it, I saw this article Mix Mike talking about, it. oh he's going to be a circle local. I was like, shit, amazing. But then also talking about the overall story about me and DJing and just want to be involved in dance music and stuff I thought it would be really cool because in general as again I'm not somebody that's someone who's really kind of caught up with this whole like diversity and inclusion thing I feel like it's somehow a bit of a naive infantile somewhat immature way to look at life or to look at the world or to look at media in general that you always have to see someone that looks like yourself in order to kind of connect with it it happens a lot with these sort of tv series and whatnot right people can't suspend belief or kind of use their imagination watching a tv show there has to be like a black superman there has to be a black batman it just doesn't make any sense when it comes to this sort of stuff right it's a bit dumb these are made up characters anyway should be able to just ingratiate yourself in a movie and not have to see yourself in it just to kind of hope that you could also be a batman too just write your own batman it doesn't really matter but when it comes to DJing and or certain industries, I feel like representation and diversity is important in certain things. Because if you look at stuff like this, especially in a scene like Ibiza, especially in a scene like Circo Loco, for the most part, the people that they're booking at their parties are usually going to be white, right? Are usually going to look a certain way. The people that are going to these events are usually a certain type of people. But over time, because Ibiza has become incredibly successful, because Ibiza become like you know destination place that everyone kind of goes to now it's not just you know kind of um somewhere sort of um left for the whiteies to go to I feel like generally a lot of people have kind of tended to kind of shift in terms of their opinions about Ibiza and what they want to do when they go out there and party and whatnot and of course stuff like house and tech house and whatnot has kind of grown in prominence and obviously the introduction of Ama Piano the South African house music has definitely kind of allowed people to see dance music represented in a sort of black way in a different way Things like Circle Local are kind of expanding and getting different. You only have to look through some of their pictures of their nights that they've done recently. Um, I'll just do this right. Uh, first of all, I'll go and click on a random picture. Hopefully, I have their location tag on it. It doesn't have it on that one. Let's go this one then. No location tag on that one either. Let's go on the other one. Let's see if they got it on there. I want to see one. Yeah, so this. If you just click a location tag on there, right, you'll see a real, I feel like, diversity of people that go to DC10 um, or that go to Circle Loco or DC10 and go and party these places. Clearly, there's a change and a shift in the type of people who go there. And I feel like it's only right that if you have different types of people going there now and it's becoming a popular destination spot, it'd be nice to kind of see more people who look like yourself playing these kind of places, right? Even just the girls. Let's just look at this. I'm scrolling down a list, right, already of Circle Local DC 10 and location-wise. You've got all these amazing-looking girls who are obviously attending these sort of raves. But when's the last time you've seen 
even four girls playing at a flipping DC 10 circle local night. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily happen. So it's not even me saying I just want to see more blacks playing at these events. It would be just be nice to see more people who look like this, who actually look like the people that go to these events, actually playing behind the decks and not just a standard kind of Michael Bibby type. So it's not a bad thing to say about him, but, you know, just that kind of general kind of white DJ playing behind the deck. So the fact that... um Skepta was able to play at Circo Loco was a real big deal in that regard because like for me I feel like representation is important in those kind of places because you never know who's going to those kind of places for the first time who might see those kind of events and be like oh shit I could also do that thing too even though you shouldn't be waiting for someone like Skepta to play behind the decks for you to kind of get the idea you should be you know you shouldn't kind of think low enough of yourself you should think high enough of yourself to kind of think you could do that too but some people do need a little bit of encouragement that little bit of a spark of an idea to be like okay cool I can do it and obviously seeing someone someone like him as prominent as Skepta is playing behind those decks at that kind of hallowed place was so so important to see and you know so they've got a couple of clips here of him playing not much actually but i'll see if you can get a vibe of it i've never been in dc 10 in a shotgun man trust me master emperor i guess it was a night was it called or is it was his dj name thank you was that the place he's playing i don't know On the on the private jet also absolutely crazy. Hello. Next with Mastiempo again. Continue again. The caption's really nice too. DJ Skepta full circle thing, which is true. Um DC ten twenty twenty two long live Virgil Abloh, which is obviously something that he definitely was a full circle thing in terms of Virgil just getting started and being introduced to that kind of crowd and obviously, you know, him being taken away from us um way too soon um under tragic circumstances, but definitely something you would imagine they probably spoke about themselves in terms of how important it was to have visibility in these type of spaces so that the kind of ongoing conversation, the ongoing um you know, painting of a picture could continue um, with these type of people in these sort of spaces because it's super, super important. I feel like overall, especially when you consider the people who are contributing to this type of music, people that go, like I said, it's just, you need more. And like I said, it doesn't always have to be black faces, just even girls. Like, when's the last time you've seen fucking four girls getting booked at fucking Circle Local? Let's look at a recent lineup. Let's look at this being a good example, right? This is one that's going to happen on the 12th of September. So it's it's coming up soon. Next week, you got, you got, uh, Desiree playing, who I'm assuming is a girl. I'm not, I'm not really too sure who Desiree is. I'm not really um Desiree. I'm not really too familiar with Desiree. Is it Desiree a girl? Or somebody at least presenting to be a girl? Yep, awesome. Great. We've got one person playing there. Great to see. Um, and Black 2, <laughs> Desiree, DJ Seinfeld, Edward, um, Enzo Siragusu, Hi, Cornel Kovacs, Luke Van Dyke, Monjack, OB versus Thompson Station, Seth Troxler, um, Samu Abdualdi. Oh, that's interesting booking, isn't it? Um, Sosa, Tanya Volcano, and, T and Tasha. So clearly there's been a shift there a little bit, but we still need to see more of it going forward so it's not just a standard whitewash Masioplex Steph Chuckster Damon Jones sort of vibe and it's more interesting like the, the lineups look a bit more interesting it looks like I've, I, I should have kept uh, more of an eye it's a Skeptics lineup um, Ari Diect how, how, how do you pronounce the name Adriac Adriatique Adriatique right um, Art Bat Fidel's FKA FKA for M4A like I mentioned before um, Anilia um, Ketama Lala Luciano Mochak Pinal Skepta Sosa and Tanya Volcano so again clearly and that Tanya Volcano I think may be a resident because they're on the list a lot on these kind of places but it's good to see regardless anyway continue with the Skepta um, slides on his account another one showing the lineup another one in the rave 
again. So yeah. That's really cool too. Some kid holding up a t-shirt with Virgil was here. I'm not sure what collection this was from actually, um, but he's holding up as well in front of the Skeptizes DJ. It was probably a pretty sick moment in general as he's playing the tunes there. But yeah, just great to see overall, man. I wish, hopefully this happens more often. Hopefully he actually does expand into doing this maybe as a little side full-time gig that he can maybe do. I could definitely love to see this going forward. Um, but I love it. I love the energy. I love it in general. I think it does a long, it goes a long way to terms of tone and changing narrative around IB for uh, making it more quote-unquote inclusive, um, representing again, not even inclusive, just making it representative of the dance floor. Because I feel like people that actually go and rave there are really diverse. It covers a whole broad spectrum of people. And again, I haven't been at before, I'd imagine so. It's a sunny place. It's a nice place. People want to go there and look hot. You know what I mean? Many people want to look hot. It doesn't know only why people so just make it representative of the dance floor if you can so yeah this is great to see and the last slide and again you know the great man there R.I.P. the great virtual abler behind the dexter soko loco um, and that's i don't know that's that guy that does the haircuts in there also there so yeah great to see regardless hopefully this continues may it long last forever and ever going forward may it long last Ooh, what else are we going to talk about here before I leave you guys? I don't want to take up too much of your time here. Let's talk about, should we talk about this actually? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this because I want to actually see what this guy is talking about. So I think I mentioned it before that um, it looked like um, Tremaine Emery who does, um, sorry, Tremaine Emery who does the brand Denim Tears and who's also the creative director of Supreme now has decided to put together a collection honoring the late great Virgil Abloh under the term under the name sorry pyrex tears obviously lends itself from virgil's original brand that he put out called pyrex vision from back in the day and instead of having the 23 on it it's got the 45 which is jordan's number when he first came back after retirement so there's a clear kind of line there and obviously them being good close friends it also makes sense too but I was very adamant that I was against this from the onset when I saw the pictures leaked of the flannel that was out, that was meant to be coming out with the 45 on the back of it, because I felt like it was a bit in poor taste, especially considering that the guy hasn't even been dead for a year yet, and they're already kind of, quote-unquote, profiting off of his name. And so far, from what I've seen, there has not been any indication that this is all going to a charity or something or whatever, something cool and cute. It all just looks like a little bit of a cash grab um, to kind of, you know, cash in his name, which can be a bit cynical for me to say it because who knows what they agreed to before he passed away this could have been a project they both worked on and he wanted to kind of have Tremaine do anyway under the guise of of Denim Tears and whatnot which looks like now as less of a kind of brand and more so a platform to showcase cool and interesting ideas maybe the same way that Tom Sachs has a Tom Sachs studio which is something I've always kind of wanted to do instead of having just a fashion brand have just a studio where you can just do cool interesting things it just does have to kind of be um it does have to be kind of a. It does have to be kind of restricted to be one thing that can only exist under a label or under a particular kind of theme or whatever it may be or motif. It can be something that can be cover a whole broad spectrum of things, right? From experiences to products to lifestyle, whatever it may be. And um, obviously, he's doing that because he's obviously got his own stuff on here that's obviously doing very, very well and selling like hotcakes. This jacket is fucking hard. Um, but in general, he's also got this stuff that he's also doing. He's also kind of honoring his late friend and whatnot. But I just didn't like it when I saw it, right? And so far, from what I can see, um, it's done pretty well. The hoodies, I think everything sold out from last time I checked. It's kind of done the same way that Virgil did his original Pirates Vision. It's all printed on champion blanks. So depending how you feel about that. But again, it's a kind of a 
it's more of an artistic expression and more so a especially now with Virgil's passing basically a a way for you to kind of own a piece of art that's kind of um linked to his name and his legacy um it's all kind of printed on a champion sweats like i said champion sorry um hoodies taking the nod from how you originally launched them you've got these um, great piece of artwork here on the front and then the 45 the 45 down the back so Pirates tears hoodie says here 350 dollars um 26 um inch 26 and a half inch length drawstring the size guide uh bar also you got the thing at the back there and of course as you can see here as i put on screen all the sizes are completely sold out right in 350 of the flipping hoodie which is crazy um for a champion hoodie which is bloody nuts but again you know um if you know anything about the origins of some of your favorite streetwear brands you would know that a lot of those guys printed on basics and blanks like champion um like beefy uh like AAA, like there's loads of things that they kind of printed back in the day because you couldn't get, you couldn't, you know, get hold of the the blanks any other way. The access to manufacturing production wasn't what it was. So you just wanted to get your ideas out there. So the best way to do is to get the best possible blanks you could get, the best possible canvases, and then put your logo and brand on top of it and hope people connect with it. So there's a Pyrex Tears again there. Again, the shorts completely sold out. I can't imagine wearing a pair of shorts that says Pyrex or Tears on it. It seems like a really, really young boy thing to do. But a t-shirt's pretty cool. I'd imagine that obviously sold out also. That's something that I could definitely see myself wearing. But again, I just feel like it was all done in a bit of poor taste. So let's click re read the, the thing for the tea. And yeah, tea's obviously saying like hot text too with Pyrex Tears on the front as well. This is probably one of my favorite fonts whatever he used when he used Pyrex Vision. I don't know what that font name is called, but that's always been lovely. I've always kind of really enjoyed that font that Virgil did on Pyrex Vision is the front of it. It's always flipping beautiful there at the front. You know, I mean, that print as well is something you don't really see too often in terms of placement for the for a brand name, like on either side here. So like those, those kind of old Russian prison tattoos people get. That's pretty cool. But let's see what the main man himself had to say, because I haven't read the interview, but Tremaine sat down with Complex talking about the whole collection. And maybe you can kind of shed some light on it and make me feel dumb for doubting the intentions behind him. But this is courtesy of Complex. It says Tremaine and Roy discusses Parag Tears Collab and the investing impact of Virgil Abloh. So let's go down and see what they say. It's an interview, right? So we can go down to the questions. So um, the first one. You tease some of the pieces on Instagram that are going to be coming out. What else can you expect from the Pirate Tears drop? He said, three pieces, a t-shirt, shorts and a hoodie. The pieces are made exactly like the old ones were made um, with denim tears and interventions added with the Pirate's motif on the champion blanks. We produced 12 flannels using vintage rugby. <laughs> Uh, this is the cash graph and a half, isn't it? So using the exact same flannels, he originally did them. They, they That's the only amount we could source. I'm not sure what we're going to do with those. Those won't be for sale. So why are you making them? So you make, huh, anyway, not why I'm making them. That's, that's, that's dumb. So that that is obviously still a great um, piece of art that you can kind of make for yourself. Um, it's a great sort of thing you could add to your overall story. It obviously goes to honoring your friend really well. It starts up a great, interesting conversation. I get it. But obviously someone's going to own it. You know for sure somebody like a fucking, what's his name? What's that absolute donut um, who has to have everything? What's his name? <laughs> um, oh, the Asian dude. You know what I mean? The one that collects blows of stuff. People like that will end up having it for sure. There's some people in the scene who you see always with stuff will definitely end up getting it. It continues. Damn, I was looking forward to rugby. He said, yeah, if we could have found 1,000, if we could have found 500 rugby panels, that's how many we would have made. But it's also an art project. Doing it exactly the same way with interventions with, with, with my interventions uh, with the collaboration. That's what makes it a collaboration. The intervention of the Black Jesus, the intervention of the Tears, the intervention of the 45, that's what makes it a collab. The intervention of an iconography, words, numbers, and imagery. What's this, what's this um, obsession he has with Im intervention? 
is this like a thing concerning like um his life in general has he had an intervention or is this something he's just using as a new word like what is this intervention overuse um the it's not even so much an homage it's more about the return of Virgil his return to us his ideas and his family it's who he was so that's his afterlife his ideas his art his family so that's why we're going to collaboration is about my brother but where's the money going with a lot of the pieces of Parry and then of why he became known for his art references and graphics he could use can you talk about the significance of the painting that you decided to use this painting I decided to use is a piece I housed at the Art Institute of Chicago so I imagine it's my fantastical mind that Virgil walked through the place and saw this painting it is by someone whose last name is Caravaggio because he's a follower of Caravaggio maybe an apostle or disciple in some way so he took the last name and painted the same motif the original Parry using the bond of Christ yeah I always thought I remember because I designed a couple of ones I remember when Parry Vision came out i designed a couple of hoodies that are done in the same style and the artist i kind of fell in love with that i thought was really good was bronzino <clears throat> that was the artist that i thought that would be really good to kind of put some of his artwork on a on a hoodie um off-white style right oh sorry Pirates Vision style when it first came out I remember um, I think there's a bronzino what version of Christ that I was going to actually print on the hoodie let me see um that was gonna do as a hoodie which i again end up never doing this is the thing you have to learn from virgil's legacy always ship always make the thing don't just put it on pdfs don't just have it in your brain because i've got it on my flipping external hard drive now my lacy that i can definitely pull out and it's all date stamped and shit you can see from the time that i did it was around the same time virgil did Paris vision but it doesn't matter now because i'm just saying words you know i mean it doesn't exist in in real life in 3d and i guess if yeah it was this one this is what i was gonna do i was gonna have printed on a hoodie at some time i was gonna have it just uh, i was gonna take away the background and have this just printed on the back so take inspiration from what virgil did it with his pyrex hoodie and then i was gonna have some sort of logo whatever i was gonna do in the front but it's gonna be very classic very simple very elegant with just this on the back kind of screen printed obviously take away the background and shit um and this is by uh what is it uh bronzino christ niece i guess as you can see there there we go crucifixion of christ sorry um as you can see from bronzino back in the day but that's the similar sort of vibe i was going for anyway it continues he said kind of christ is dead this one's the resurrection of christ a few days later that's why the intervention okay that's why he keeps mentioning intervention now because because it's tied with the painting um this is why the intervention is the resurrection of virgil that's why christ is black to represent virgil and his return don't know about that one mate that's a bit mad isn't it saying that virgil's christ i love the guy too a big inspiration met the guy obviously like i said you know has spent a very brief time working with him cool i love everything that he did think that he was gone way too soon but you know trying to link him to jesus is absolutely wild but anyway we continue but it's not his return in the flesh it's his return in memory of his friends and family and his art that's virgil's afterlife that's what the 35 because mouse jordan came back to 35 jumpsuit uh, i get that um What's important for you, the Pyrex, as a vehicle for his project? In popular culture, the first thing Virgil did on his own, no Kanye, no Bintrill. I don't even think people get it to this day. What do you do? What do you get after you cook up Coke in, in Pyrex? You get off-white crack rock. Yeah, we know. That's why everyone That's why everyone thinks the name was awesome. I don't think anyone doubts that. If I'm not mistaken, also, didn't Flippin... Um, what's the legendary story? Didn't... Um, what's his name? Didn't... Uh, ASAP 12 or some, someone give him the name for Off-White Virgil I'm pretty sure that's what the story was right he couldn't end up using Pyrex Vision as a name because Pyrex the whatever the utensils company decided to give him a cease and desist and then he had to then switch to do Off-White or maybe that was always going to come anyway but then he'd get the name Off-White from ASAP 12 I'm pretty sure um he did Pyrex, then cease and desist, but it wasn't even about the cease and desist. Pyrex was an art project. You cooked up the... No, it wasn't, because if he didn't get cease and desist, he would have kept on going. 
I love when people change narratives to fit their story. But I guess again, I have to I have to be aware that this is something that you I should be doing too. When it comes to arts, when it comes to the creative stuff that I want to do, I have to be cognitive or cognitive that this is the sort of language and the sort of thing that everyone does. They kind of they kind of twist the the kind of twist their story to fit whatever story they want to tell. So it kind of is similar. It's kind of weirdly made up, but not really made up, because that season the sis that came when he was absolutely trying to take the thing to the next level, and then it came and just stopped it. But it was also a good time because he just started doing it, so he could immediately roll into doing off white. Yeah, you know I mean, it didn't. He didn't need to stop and you know I mean, figure out stuff. He could immediately just evolve straight away, and it kind of helped him in a general way because he kind of got went straight into doing what he actually wanted to do. Um, but the art projects you could to Paris and you got off white saving that shit was so layered this high fashion brand named off uh, drugs as a metaphor but also in between the white and black the grayscale is that too um, that's that's obviously true that's a good point I like that one Paris no one had ever really seen anything like that before it was definitely for lack of better word streetwear why are they so offended with the term streetwear none of these guys would be having brands if they didn't have the ability to print on t-shirts make hoodies and snapbacks and sweats and stuff so this idea that you you can't say streetwear or streetwear is reductive is nonsense if anything you should be taking the term streetwear and trying to elevate it to the same level that high fashion with a capital h and an f actually have at the moment even though that stuff is only cool because the people on the street the working class folk the normal folk are the ones making it cool i, I, I hate this kind of resistance to streetwear it's so dumb it's a thing that combined what is called streetwear and crashed it with a bunch of other things. What is streetwear? Question mark. Streetwear doesn't exist. Oh, all right, cool. To you, it doesn't because you're flipping one of the privileged food that gets fucking everything. Do you know what I mean? But you work for a fucking streetwear brand. That's what Supreme is now. It's not a skateboarding brand, you would imagine. It's definitely more of a streetwear brand. Where do you see most of the stuff being worn that people wear from Supreme? In the street. Do they wear it in the street in a skateboarding way? No, they wear it in a streetwear way. Anyway, what do I know? There's couture, ready to wear, and athletic wear, so I don't personally really use the word streetwear because of the connotations of a lot of people that use it. But I understand what people do feel good about the word streetwear. It's a tricky word. It's like the word urban. Not really. Streetwear is nothing like urban at all. Urban has a direct connotation to be it being a bunch of kids doing breakdancing in the Bronx somewhere with a fake graffiti backdrop. I mean, all that sort of stuff, pretending to DJ. Um, streetwear is exactly what it is on a tin. It is hoodies. It is t-shirts, it is jeans, it is sneakers, it's baseball caps. Like that's what streetwear is all about. It's probably even toys connected to it. Like that is streetwear, quintessentially. It's not anything else. It's not anything bad. It's not anything beneath anyone. It's cool. It's probably cooler than most of the stuff out there, especially stuff like fashion. That's, you know, seasonal, based on trends, um, very political. Um, you know, it's not the most egalitarian scene um, in the world yeah i mean like i don't know and it continues was pyrex tears something that you and virgil were working on or discussing before he passed it there was a conversation between me and alaska um and i was approved by shannon Ablo. see <laughs> of course not it was approved by shannon Ablo, the wife so fair but there was nothing tied into virgil and we haven't heard so far no approach of anything concerning this stuff being made and then the proceeds going to a good cause it's just obviously to line people's pockets which is is what it is but i'm happy that i had my stance in the beginning that i didn't fuck of it because i thought it was really gross and really in bad taste with it not being even a year since the guy's passed but you know it's his friend so he can do what he wants i guess the 10th anniversary of paris is approaching what is significance of Alexia paris vision to you diy man are you going to let them tell you you're an artist or are you going to choose to be an artist are you going to wait for them to tell you you're a designer or are you going to know when you've done your one ten thousand hours and you're ready to go 
into the world and present your ideas, which I love. I love that because I was just speaking about it now with my DJing thing and about how I've become way too closeted and shy about presenting myself and pushing myself out there. But in general, if I say I'm ready, I'm say I'm the man, I'm the man. But I then obviously got to prove and put that stuff out there and obviously hope that the universe then connects with my um, energies in terms of what I'm putting out there and something happens. Even if it doesn't, the fact that I'm actually putting it out there is already a win because I'm spent so much of my life having all my ideas on here. This is where all my ideas used to exist, right? All on here, on this lazy drive. Ideas upon ideas, stuff that was never materialized, but now I'm changing for the better. So I love that message that he's cooking up there. Cooking up, get it? Pyrex off white. And it continues. Pyrex was just get was just was just him going for it. The video, the presentation, Jim Joe spray painting on a wall, the, the Joy Division song, ASAP Mob to model it. It's art. He spun an art project into being a commercial project, but there was no guarantee that Pyrex would turn into the uh, what it would mean to everyone now. So Pyrex shows the possibilities that when you believe in yourself and do things that way, you want to do them. Pyrex is a combination of the streets, and I don't mean streetwear. Oh, again, with this, the rejection of streetwear, man, it's pissing me off. But again, let the guy cook in it. I mean, the hood, the rap, the hip hop, the mix, the art, um, showing that is all the same shit. Caravaggio is no better than fucking DJ Premier. They're both artists, it's not on a higher level. I guess you want to make sure that your heroes are placed on the same level as some of these other heroes, but there's no need to compare people all the time and try to place them on this sort of like comparative level. It just is a bit reductive and a bit simplistic, really, in my opinion. Um, it just is, and probably not not warranted or not needed. You can easily tell the story of DJ Premier without even mentioning fucking... Um, what you call it, Caravaggio, in my opinion. Um, well, um, sorry, they're both artists. It's not one as high level. DJ Premier is no better than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is no better than Caravaggio. Um, we'll put them all together on a hoodie. It changed everything. He unified disciplines. He unified the separation created by the 1% that wants to tell you that you, a Picasso is worth more than a Frank Ocean album because there's only one Picasso and everyone can buy a Frank Ocean's album. Are you... Tr on, I'm triggered now because Picasso is one of my favorite artists of all time. And I studied him in school when I did art. And I've bought loads of books about him and I've gone to see many exhibitions about him. To try and attribute or to link what Frank Ocean does to Picasso is just... Okay, anyway, let's continue. Um, it's not more worth more. It's just about made-up validation indexes. Frank Ocean's Blonde album is just as valid as Picasso. Vice versa, what... Ay, 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 ay. There's these things that people say in the scene that just don't make any sense, in it, really? Because I don't think even hardcore Frank Ocean fans would even say Blonde is even his best album. So you can sit there and talk because it's conceptual and everything that it represents and the fucking the thing that he built with it and the magazine. I get, I get it. There's a lot of things that tied in with it. The guy's very artistic, very creative. He's doing incredible things with his with his jewelry brand at the moment. He's clearly a consummate creative in that respect. I'm sure behind the scenes he has incredible conversations. Really. Um, plugged in crewed up guy which is the best movies and so the best music has a great furniture great style i get it but can we relax relax with the frank ocean thing can we relax a little bit too relax a little bit like he still divides opinion generally he still has a very niche audience generally he still doesn't put out music on that consistent basis generally the music quality standards aren't isn't that good generally across the board and blonde isn't his best album let's just put that out there probably color oranges right um, maybe the the mixtape. What's the mixtape with the fucking car in the front? Like, I don't know. Sorry, sorry. Color orange, channel orange, color orange. I said, didn't it? It continues. Um. Uh. I'm not gonna read all that stuff. I don't care. 
you said you sourced them, but you decided you wanted to work. Yeah, so same way. You said it was hard to source them, but you said that you decided that you wanted to do it the same way he did at the time and source these venture and rugby's. At the time when he did that, there was people that dismissed the creation because he was essentially just printing on flannels at the time that would think, what would you think his opinion? What, what, what did you think of that opinion and those critics? He says, I'll tell you. I told a story at Harvard. I did a talk with IDK and Virgil at Harvard a couple of months before he died. There was these guys that started this brand called Nike. They didn't have the means to go to China and America and make sneakers on the ground up. So you know what they did? They bought Onyx Soga Tigers, ripped off the patch, put on a Nike patch, and that's how Nike started. That's my answer. But also, the issue that I had, again, that's a good answer to put out there. It's a cool, snappy answer. It's going to get you some claps. But the reality of it is, at the time that Virgil was putting, again, this is somebody that respects Virgil, honors the guy. I have plenty of videos about him on, his show, on my channel. I was cut up and I'm still upset that he flipping passed away that he did. And I feel like, you know, he was gone way too soon and didn't get his flowers. And he, when he was around, I feel like everybody that was going around trying to suck him off after he died were disrespectful to his legacy and just gross in general. So I'm a huge fan of Virgil. It's coming from a fan, an obsessive fan somebody that decided to work for the company that I worked for when I decided when I had to the the a person who decided to work for the company that I ended up working for because I knew he was going to work with them so that's how much of a fan I was I I am still at the time huh? but let's be honest at the time Virgil was doing Pike's Vision he was doing this thing where a lot of them were doing hair and pressing this sort of thing where they were sort of infantilizing their audience calling them kids right and also trying to make themselves look way older which they're not that older really right i think virgil maybe was the oldest one but they're kind of like you know between what mid 30s early 40s but they were try at the time they're maybe like in their 30s but they were trying to make this separation like they were like the big brothers and they were like trying to do it for the kids do it for the culture do it for the kids and i think that was around the time everyone was using the term culture 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 but i remember there was a term there was a time when they were obsessed about saying kids 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 which was dumb because a lot of the kids that they were talking to a lot of the kids that they were envisioning weren't the kids that were going to be able to afford what they make because they don't have disposable income. But again, we just move on. But that was the idea behind it. We're doing it for kids, doing it for the kids. Then he launches his brand and he puts out flannels that are $600, right? And then it's not even like the flannels that are made cut and sew wise. At the time, streetwear people were making cut and sew garments. They were actually going to manufacturers at the time. You could have gone to Alibaba. You could have gone to factories in China. You could have got stuff done in, in the US it's at the time, even in 2012, right? That was possible to do. But before it wasn't. But back in then, strand brands were still doing that. So already elevating. So to just go and get rugby flannels that already been made, essentially create an artificial bit of scarcity by buying the entire stock then print on them and then sell them for what seven times their retail value or maybe 10 times retail value was essentially insane and really did a disservice to him because at the time also Pyrex was kind of tilted as a streetwear brand but then you're coming in on the market trying to sell flannels for six hundred dollars which is nuts no brand does that even the brands that sell you know some of the brands that do like diamond tea stuff and are into ripped denim stuff and do that kind of asap bari you know um streetwear hobo look thing some of those brands wouldn't sell you a flannel for seven hundred or six hundred dollars so the fact that he thought that was a good idea probably wasn't the greatest idea at the time because it definitely kind of i felt like put him in a bad light especially for myself especially somebody i was working at with him at the time i remember when i was working on that streetwear course a lot of the people who went to get involved didn't want to get involved with him because of that whole kerfuffle with pyrex vision 
it's funny because there are some people that didn't want to be associated with him also the first people that kind of jump out of the window and say how much they meant he meant to him or that's all fake nonsense like industry stuff is horrible i saw it first time with virgil in it like I'm, i emailed these same people and asked them to get involved this project and they all said no and then the moment he became hot like shit grease you know everybody decided to kind of you know jockey him and stuff but he was good about that and he didn't seem to care about it he seemed to take it all in his grace so big up him and big up his legacy but that was the reason why it was gross you try to become the bastion of the children and all that good stuff uh, and in the first brand you put out you're putting out 600 flannels with flannels that you didn't make you're just screaming on the back of them like that obviously isn't the greatest thing to do i don't think and the fact that no one else has done that goes to prove how distasteful and how bad it was because no one else has repeated what he did no one else has gone out and tried to buy a ten dollar fucking jumper tried to resell it for a hundred dollars just put their logo on the front no one does that because they know it's not going to go down very well so this idea that it was um they, we just didn't get it and all that sort of stuff and Nike did on it's just come on let's just call it spade a spade it was a bad idea it obviously worked out in the long term in terms of what you're doing but you know whatever um, what's the significance of the phrase sunroof on the Trojan horse to you so the sunroof on the Trojan horse were most of Brandy that Virgin our tribe myself included people of colour and women and other subjugated people had used to infiltrate the white male infrastructure of the western society that's been running the world for a couple of thousand years <laughs> I love this I love this energy I love because I'll just get right behind it even if I don't agree with it I'll just stand behind it just so I can get a chance to get involved so anyway it continues we had to use the Trojan horse to get in we have we have these watershed moments of him becoming the creative director of Louis Vuitton his museum shows the Nikes the clothing the films all of it that's when the sunroof pops open like hey we're here we had to sneak in but we're here now and more of us are coming in that's what sunroof on a trojan horse means we're letting the fucking top down on this bitch no more hiding no more sneaking our friends in no more any of that fully us fully black i love this fully trans fully gay fully lesbian fully whatever you are fully you you're just as visible as anyone else we deserve the same opportunities and we also deserve to be mediocre be great and it's oh i love this line at the end we also deserve to be mediocre be great the same things that white people male structure has always been for so long and i definitely agree with that because i think there's a clip at the moment of viola davis talking about how difficult it is just to be like a black creative right you have to kind of be so much better than your peers and so much better than everybody else just to get a sniff you can't just be mediocre you can't rely on nepotism because you don't have anybody to bring you in and you can't just rely on just being okay you have to be more than okay just to get a shot but in general it's good because it makes you far better it makes you like that's probably why Virgil is so good because it makes you far better it makes you far ready when you get your opportunity you're ready to go you're store ready you're retail ready um, you're industry ready you're scene ready you're not just like uh, underground person no 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 you're ready to go because you've been working at it for time don't forget Virgil's first South American went down in the French house that's in 2018 that's crazy uh, what's going on here Oh, this is the article Virgil stuff. Uh, since Virgil's passing, many people have been talking about who you're feeling about LV. If you had the power to choose um, either a specific person or the art direction, what would you want to see a Virgil continue legacy? What do you what, what would you do? He says, if you think anyone, if you think the continue, no, if anyone thinks the continuation of Virgil's legacy is that Louis Vuitton, you're sorely wrong. The continuation of his legacy is his wife, his mum, his sister, his dad, his kids, his friends, his art. Louis Vuitton was just a brand that was very lucky to have him. Nike is just a brand that was very lucky to have him. True. So this is no successor. Congratulations to whoever comes after Virgil, but it's really not my concern. Louis Vuitton wasn't the whole thing. It was a step on the chessboard um the sunroof is off we use louis we use these things as a leverage to push through for example the sunroof on the trojan horse is me getting job at supreme 
True. Me and my job at Supreme doesn't happen if it wasn't a watershed moment that Virgil's happened in 2018. I don't care how talented or how good I am. Very self-aware and I love that kind of energy, to be honest, because we have to be true. A lot of those people that were around his orbit were able to essentially propel their careers into the stratosphere based on what he was able to do and based on the good kind of um, grace that he kind of emanated from people in the industry and just their willingness to take chances because they saw him doing it so successful. Like someone like Harry Preston, who I've met a few times myself and I'm a fan of from afar, but you would never say, for my opinion, I would never say Harry Preston was a fashion dude. So for him to be able to take what he does and his talent of communication and putting ideas out there to take that into a fashion realm and absolutely smash it, the only reason he was given the opportunity in the first place to kind of present on that kind of level was what Virgil was doing. And obviously him being, hey, this is my boy, I'm going to bring him in and then, then be like, cool, we want another person, we don't want to miss out on another Virgil. They bring him in, boom, and then it goes from flipping, you know, it goes out of the, it goes to flip to the flipping moon. So clearly that is something that he's, they're all aware of, which is fucking awesome to see. And again, that guy's legacy is amazing, right? To have all these people talking so glowingly about you um, and about the impact that you've had on other people's lives and about the impact you've had on their lives and their career and the fact that you're continuing a legacy by just being alive and doing your thing, that is the best way to be honoured, honestly. There's, uh, anyway, it continues. There's this, um, there's things that happened before Virgil that helped him get to his point too. It's true. Things that Ye did, things that um, Charles Casely Hayford did. Oh, awesome to say that, mention that name because that's a legend people don't really mention too often. Didn't he pass away recently? I'm sure, right? And Joe Casey Hayford, um, sorry, he, the dad passed away. Am, am, I, am I mistaken? Or am I talking out of turn here? I'm sorry, this is the dad, right? Didn't he pass away, unfortunately? Because they used to do fashion together. And I remember seeing the kid around London a lot when I was at CSM and whatnot. Or oh, my bugging. Yeah, he passed away, right? Yeah. I saw this guy a lot often, man. Joe Casley Hayford, British fashion designer. Um, Joe, Joe Casey Hayford was a British fashion designer. Um, beginning in the 1980s, he established his national reputation. He was appointed officer of the board of the British Empire Service in the fashion industry. Um, when he died in 2019 Jesus I didn't know it was that far behind uh, uh, on training attitude Casey died following a three year battle with cancer and yeah and he's doing his brand with his, with his son a lot that was really cool and touching to see those pictures of them together actually um, father and son um, Casey Hayford working together on tailoring and whatnot. you know shop there on Savile Row and shit like absolutely epic shit to see so all this stuff definitely laid the, laid the framework for every, what everyone's doing now and how everyone's popping and bursting through so cool to see him mentioning those names what and Andre Walker did what, Will, what Willie Smith did what Nina Simone did these are all things that led to what Virgil done your mentors aren't only the people you know so what I'm saying is the end game isn't Louis V it's not the highest point it's to move on the chessboard and so it doesn't matter who comes after very good for them <laughs> I love this energy <laughs> But really what matters is the legacy left in his family, his friends, his art, his true brand is Virgil Abloh, not Off-White, not Louis Vuitton, not Likey. And that's the part I think people are missing. That's why it isn't an Off-White collab. It's, an Louis, it's not a Louis Vuitton collab. It's a Virgil thing. Louis owned 100% of Virgil. I love that. To clarify, I wasn't insinuating legacy. We continue LV. I was more into asking a uh, hope. Is as far, I was, I was <laughs> the guy got nervous. <laughs> Oh, he got scared I was more so asking what your hope is for as far as what LV does to follow up he says, I, I totally understand we got to keep it real LV did what they LV did that because they had to what was the other move we run this shit that's why exactly <laughs> I think I said at the time when Virgil got the job at Louis I was like it's great that he got it but yeah, people acting I was like this is a surprise what else are they meant to do the guy is hotter than 
fucking fish grease. He's everywhere. Um, he's got the fucking Kanye rub. He's got his own rub. He's flipping, doing a million projects at the same time. Fucking collections out of the fucking ass. You know what I mean? Fashion shows that are turning into fucking concerts and places to be seen and moving units and selling shit tons. Like, what, what else are they meant to do? Do you know what I mean? They had to get him on board. Anyways, it continues. It said, that's why I said his legacy isn't attached to LV. It was a job. It's a high profile job. It's like Phoebe Philo. Her legacy isn't attached to Celine or Phoebe Philo. Yeah, she did a great job at Celine, but she's a great designer. Is Michael Jacobs' legacy attached to Louis Vuitton? People don't even talk about that anymore he's a great artist and a designer there's kids that don't even know that Mark Jacobs work at Louis Vuitton and it doesn't matter because he's still great yeah he's stuff that he's doing now with heaven um it's still an amazing person it's the same with V any final thoughts I like to think <laughs> I like to think let's go Shannon Abler for allowing me to really be to collaborate with my dearly departed friend the whole point of the collaboration is no Virgil's afterlife is that uh, life is family his friends and art continue to live the people that lived his art so i hope people who really love you didn't know him will get to enjoy the product because that's what it presents so you know maybe i'm in the wrong here maybe it's not like he did it in very small numbers it was meant to be something he did just to kind of honor the legacy of his friend um it's definitely spurned some good conversations a good talking points here he spoke with a lot of passion and heart regarding himself and his connection with his friend and like i said as somebody that worked with the guy and knew him knew him to that level and obviously was a a real big fan of what he did and was kind of you know watching from afar and kind of being inspired and motivated from afar i can definitely see why this could kind of resonate with some people going forward but still i will still maintain that i still think it's kind of done in poor taste personally for me just in terms of the timing i feel like if it would have done it in terms of a one-year anniversary again things are really it's really subtle how things can be seen and represent and presented and how they can look but if this is done on the actual one-year anniversary of the person's death and there's something to tie in with it that isn't just dropping of clothes and there's a longer story to tell and I don't know, there's other bits of bad here and you're talking about setting up foundations. I don't know, then it sounds then it can kind of be a little bit easier to take. But when you're just giving me clothes and just printing stuff on it and just trying to justify that six hundred dollar final, I don't know, man. It just feels like a bit of a cash grab to me. But hey, what do I know? Regardless, interviews fucking bomb. When the rest of the stuff drops, buy it. Um, honor his legacy that way. I mean and make sure these ideas keep permeating through because I just want to see more people that look like me in those positions anyway. And the only way to do that is to keep buying these products and keep flipping dunking on them and keep putting your foot on their necks and not taking it off there anytime soon. Anytime soon. Um, what else is here on here? Is that it? I think I have to leave it from there at the moment because I don't want to keep going on because I've been rabbiting for too long here. What's going on here? That I missed out on to talk about. Du, 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 du. What's this here? Not that. This already come out already. I spoke about that. I spoke about this. I spoke about this. I spoke about that. What about this one? What's this? I'm trying to see. What? Oh, this is one to talk about. Well, where is it? Let's talk about this, actually. I think I may have had it talk about this. Let's see if I can get up on here. The cause RA. I think there was news regarding the cause.
Okay, so last bit of news here to close out the show. There's news regarding Cause, one of the, or the Cause, one of my favourite Lon- venue, London. Okay, to close the show here, we've got one bit of news to end it with regarding one of my favourite venues in London called The Cause, which unfortunately had to close. Um, it was always meant to be a temporary project, which I actually didn't remember at the time that I was going there. It was this club that was situated in the north of London that I would say was like the north version of The Fold, or Fold, sorry, but a little bit more eclectic, a little bit more um, wide-ranging in terms of the people that it booked and the sort of musical genres that were played in there, had all these different types of rooms, had a great outdoor space, a great bar, great team behind it, and generally just a pleasure to go to, especially someone like me being wasn't super far north that I could sometimes get back home at a reasonable hour and obviously it was open until five to six so if you wanted to get the first train home you could also so generally a really great and enjoyable place to go and I'm upset I only kind of caught onto the fold within the last year or so before it closed I wasn't there prior so I didn't really see the actual formation of it kind of bubbling and kind of becoming the thing that it was I kind of had to see it towards the end when it kind of was obviously winding down before it ended up closing but now I guess they're still looking for I guess for a permanent home to call their new home but now it looks like Kershaw DJ Magda they're about to open up a temporary pop-up space called All My Friends in October to hold people over for the time being so this is the following the team behind the much loved venue the cause is opening a new space in the city next month based in Hackneywick which is interesting because it's departing from north the venue called All My Friends which is a great name for a club is currently being billed as a three month pop-up bar which will host events and even community that existed around the cause the new space will be a place for the cause community to hang out and be a more laid back manner and the parties that went on in our closed club it was house at record store which is sick and it was also have a bar with craft beers and street food the opening week will be on the 7th of october which is great for me because i'll be sober october and then so i'll be able to go and enjoy it as an absolute punter that doesn't need to get absolutely wallet and laced up when i go there and we're open from tuesday through to sundays from midday to until late the record shop is a community project with Aya Records, Space Hopper, and the cause, according to the team behind the space, it will stock new records in addition to use electronics. So, in terms of in, in addition to use collections, I'd love to see you use electronics actually. I wouldn't mind. They actually sold old speakers and old mixers and stuff like that, like collectible stuff. I'd love that. Um, from DJs close to the club, um, covering the house, techno, da, 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 musically, a number of friends that are DJs close to the cause will be invited to play the venue throughout the week. Lineups of the space will be first weeks, will be revealed in the coming weeks. Sign up to the board to find out the uh, cause closed in 2020. So, yeah, a place called All My Friends. I love the logo. Um, some pictures here regarding the inside of it, you know, the standard sort of pop up space, sort of like interior design. You know, loads of nice suspending bits of light, loads of nice exposed wall, loads of nice exposed beams. You know, the general things clubs do. They're all the kind of same, don't get me wrong, but, you know, they do well. Some great little speakers and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, let's see when it just starts pull up and what they do. Do they have a page or set up for it? I think they do. Let's see if the Instagram, if they got a page set up so I can see maybe they have any more details regarding it. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Let's see, check it out a bit. All my friends, what's this? this? This is a clip taken from one of the events, right? What is this? A, it's a video? Is this a, oh, it's a video. One day ago. Filled with joy and unraveled emotion, there are little words I can describe. The momentous scenes witnessed that Saturday for Adonis Adonis took over once again. Their birthday sweats did not disappoint as he kicked off the final show for that possibly May series. This weekend, we return to Sexy Doctor. Duh, duh, duh. Interesting, isn't it? These events, right? Look at yeah. You know what's interesting? The amount of girls are commenting on this actually, or the people that look like they could be girls, right? All these people. And Adonis Adonis is like a very premier, very popular, um, um, very very premier, very popular gay night. 
But obviously, like I said in previous podcasts, unfortunately, these gay, alternative, queer, LGBTQ-leaning events have become the best nights out in London. So all the normies and all the kind of non-gays like myself want to go. And unfortunately, if you are a gay and you go to those kind of places as a safe space, I can understand why you feel like we're taking up room and we're kind of infringing on your space because, you know, we're there basically. But they do do put on the best nights. So let's, let's hear this clip of someone playing Adonis. Hey, yo, man, wait, stop, man, that was close. Take my breath. Oh, you got it? Wish we had more spaces like this, like looking out, you know, across London and shit. Like it looks so lovely, isn't it? Open air space. We don't have enough of them in the UK. I know because of the weather and stuff and noise pollution and whatnot, but there's a lot of lovely skyline around London that you would kind of really look amazing if you was in a club somewhere, open air, twisted, shaking your flipping fist in the air and shit in it. But again, we don't really see much of it. So is there more information regarding the all my friends thing? They got an Instagram account link there. I can check out there. You go. All my friends, the, the, this that's the account, right? All my friends. UK. So yeah, there's no more posts apart from the ones that we've seen already regarding it. So they're setting up now. I guess we'll find out more information soon regarding the whole entire thing, sharing articles, like giving them good press and whatnot. So yeah, let's see if it does open up. Like I said, I'm 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 trusting of these guys because you know the people behind it. I remember speaking to them a long time ago on Facebook and stuff, and they always sound always pretty decent people and shit. So I'm sure they're gonna be doing this the right way. I'm not gonna doubt that in the slightest. Um, so yeah, let's look forward to what they do and what they have going forward, and hopefully we'll end up being a pretty decent thing all around for everybody included. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what ends up happening with this going forward. I really, really, really am. Anyway, that's actually the episode number what? Four, five, nine, nine, actually. Next one's going to be 600. Crazy. If it's your first time checking out the show with me, you know what to do. Um, you know, click subscribe, click like in that if you like what you hear, like what you see. If you don't, I get that too. You can click on like. That has also helped me. Everything helps in general when it comes to these sort of channels. Um, and yeah, man, I'll see you guys very, very soon. I've got a mix I'm going to be doing soon. 62 that I keep putting off the text mix. And again, I'm going to end up doing it because like I said earlier, I need to kind of get myself out there in terms of the DJing sort of stuff. So I need to make sure that I'm on it and absolutely um, doing what I'm preaching, whatever that word is, whatever that term is. What's that term people say? But you know what I mean, right? I need to put my um my word in my mouth is so or my mouth where my word is or something or back up my talk, one of those things, right? And I'm gonna end up doing it and I'm gonna end up following through. So that is something you should definitely watch out for. And obviously I'll update that on my socials. So if you're on my socials and you follow me there, you'll see that. If you haven't already joined the Discord in general for what I do, then definitely click the link in the description if you want to join the Discord. It's a great little community there. You can find out the things that I get up to and what I'm interested in through the Discord. So definitely do that if you're that way inclined. But apart from that i'll see you guys all very very soon if you listen to the audio podcast you hear my tune of the day if you're watching via youtube you won't hear anything i'll just go to black but thank you for joining in i do appreciate you and i'll see you again very soon I just
so social that she used to boss We living our life and we living in large I was born like this, I cannot fall I feel like this, I'm not like y'all I can't go to the mall, I'm bigger than the mall Put a bag on the bitch, put a bag on the bride Put a bag on the bitch, they killin' the bride Put a bag on the bitch. Put a bag on the bride. Put a bag on the bitch for the bag on the bride. Put a bag on the bitch for the bag on the bride. Put a bag on the bitch for the bag on the bride. Better than maybe I know I'm not Ross. I just told Sosa that she's the boss. I'm too hip, that girl glued to my hip. I'm too legit, that too glued to my hip. Move your hips, don't kiss and tell, glue your lips. Who you know, do it like this. Uncle Luke, two lot click. My hood sound like two lot six.